Pay your dues and sew your name patch on your flannel shirt. It's time for the 27 Club, the world's only podcast about the group so exclusive you have to die to get in. Hosted by Pete and PJ. And special guest. It's Jake. Jake again. Oh, our favorite oh, guest. You guys know that the returning growly champion. tenor. Just kidding. We don't have favorite guests. They're all equally good. Except, except for Paul. Except for Paul. Yeah. Let's see if he listens to this episode before he is. He's on, <laughs> yeah, he's next, on time. next week. So ooh, yes, ooh, that's what he was ooh, telling me. Spoilers, spoilers for our listeners. Uh, well, Jake, welcome back. Thanks, fellas. Uh, this Happy is your first time. You've been on every series we've done so far. This is your first time on the Twenty Seven Club podcast, though, right? No, no, it's no. not. He was on oh, a Doors yeah. episode. Boy, it's been. <laughs> It's been a long few months, guys. <laughs> well, welcome back, Jake. I don't need to ask you your thoughts on the 27 Club, then. No, you don't. We covered uh, that. But we can ask your thoughts on Nirvana. Hell and yeah, I, dude. Yeah. What are, what, what's, Jake, what's the fucking deal with Nirvana? That's what we're asking everybody um, that comes along. <laughs> Just, what's your fucking deal, man? <laughs> okay. Um... My so what are you asking me? You're asking me either what's my deal? What's the deal with Nirvana? I think I said what's your fucking deal? Man? Mash them okay, up. Actually. What's your deal with what's your yeah. deal with Nirvana? What's my deal with Nirvana? Yeah. Um. So I like many men of a certain age who are white was very very <laughs> very into Nirvana in my teenage years. Sure. Loved them. And the story of me getting into Nirvana actually starts uh, with the story of another artist that I was very into, who I think is maybe the artist who has been discussed the most on this show that you've never done a proper series on. Eric Clapton. Uh, no, his name is Old Weird Al Yankovic. Uh-huh. And I was, like both of you, I was very, very into Weird Al as a kid. And this is as a young kid, as, uh, you know, like 6th, 7th grade. And we were... We were, like, at a good age to be really into Weird Al then because White and Nerdy was really yeah. big and was a huge song. But he had this huge back catalog that you could go listen to. And I used to listen to Weird Al songs that I didn't know were parodies. I just thought they were good songs. Like, I thought Like a Surgeon was the funniest song, but I'd never heard Madonna. And how excited um, were you when you learned that he actually did have a bunch of just funny original songs out there for you to listen oh, to? Albuquerque is probably my favorite Weird Al song, Push Come Shove. Damn. It's a genuine masterpiece. That's what. So Paul has a similar thing with Weird Al, where he ha, he hadn't heard any of the songs he was parodying, <laughs> so he was just like, "Weird Al's a funny guy." <laughs> it's funny to just make up a song about what if you lost on yeah. Jeopardy. That's funny. Yeah, yeah. you don't. Well, even and then Michael Jackson comes on, and you're like, "What the fuck is this? It's like Weird Al, but it's not funny." Yeah. Ugh. Wait. So wait, how would Weird Al then? Did he? Okay. Because there's nothing so to make Weird fun Al, of with Nirvana. So how would that no. have happened? I'm so confused. No, they're the, the, the most serious band of all time. Yeah, but, uh, they aren't funny guys even a little bit. They take <laughs> rock and roll very seriously. Very serious. If it's illegal to rock and roll, throw my ass in jail. That's what Kurt Cobain said that once, and I wrote it on my guitar when I was. Oh, you fucking nerd! It's basically um, the modern day. This machine kills, kills fascists. fascists. Yeah. yeah. Kind of. Yeah. Um, I, okay, this is totally off off topic, and I promise we will get back. But today on Twitter, the guitar player from Disturbed tweeted a picture of his new guitar, which uh, it looks like it says Coca Cola, but it actually says I'm against cancel culture or something like that. I gotta find a picture of it. 
Um, I got to show you guys this picture because it's incredible. This man is disturbed. (laughs) Yeah, talk about disturbed. First off, his name is Dan Donegan, (laughs) which is a good-ass name. Danny! Um, Or Donnie. Whichever one you want. You can switch it up if you feel like it. (laughs) However you feel like you wish to do it. Um... However you feel like you wish to do it. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm trying to find this, and I can't find it, and now I'm getting... That's fine. I'm getting angry. Disturbed. Oh, that's what their music is supposed singer. to do to people. Make them angry. Yeah. Yes, you're right. It's also supposed to make them angry about cancel culture. Yeah. Now, Pete, earlier... You want to know, speaking of cancel culture... Oh, I'm sorry. No, you go you? ahead. You go ahead, <laughs> okay. Pete. Okay, speaking of cancel culture, I had a, uh, I recently started a new job. I don't know if listeners know that, but. um, I didn't know that. uh, Well, you're obviously not a listener then. I don't know. I don't think think we've actually talked about it on the show at all. Um, (laughs) But I recently started a new job and was having some, let's say, growing pains, making some mistakes and stuff. Um, And Shelby read me some article that she found or that she like had read in the past about like how it's okay to screw up at work, all this. And the example they gave at the end (laughs) was it's okay to screw up at work because sometimes even world leaders screw up at work. Bill Clinton Mm -hmm. screwed up at work. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And now he's fine. People like Bill Clinton now. He's doing good. mm, And it's like, that's famously. Yeah. That's not, that's not what happened. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's like, yeah, Louis I... C.K., bad day at the office, but he's good now, so who cares? You can you can send an email to the wrong person and embarrass yourself. It's cool. It was okay, wild just, how yeah off base it was. I just sent you guys a picture of the guitar, but so it actually says, fuck cancel culture. Nice. But, um, yeah, you got you to gotta check it out. It's oh, wow. <laughs> Isn't I mean, honestly, a cool guitar if it didn't say that on it. Yeah, I mean it's a nice it's it's like a telly rip off. Yeah, it's like a yeah, kind of I guess. I don't know. I like the yeah. shape. Okay. So anywho, um so I was uh I loved Weird Al and I came across Weird Al's Nirvana parody which is called Smells Like Nirvana, which is a a very funny song that is just about how no one can understand what Kirk Cobain is saying, mm-hmm. which is which is a good a good a funny thing to parody. Kirk quite is quite hard to understand. But, Yes, he's he's brutally hard to understand. And um, I was playing it once, and my aunt was over, and uh, she heard me playing that song, and she came in and she said, are you listening to Nirvana? And I was like, no, this is Weird Al. And uh, she said, well, that's good, because you don't want to listen to Nirvana. There's some really heavy stuff. <laughs> and this aunt what does uh, that did mean? not have children. Mm. She, she didn't have children... Um, which is uh, how she knew that you can never tell that to like a twelve-year-old boy because the first thing they will want to do is just go right. listen to a bunch of Nirvana. Right. So I did, and I got very, very into them, and um, and that's kind of it. Stayed that way for a while, and then when I turned, I believe, sixteen, I got the album Live at Reading for my birthday. And that just totally blew my mind. Like, that is still one of my favorite live rock albums ever made. Uh, it's them at the absolute peak of their powers. And it's, um, yeah, it basically, that, like, completely changed the way I 
looked at the world, which is very corny and kind of stupid, um, and, and all, but I just, I just totally bought it. Like, I was so in, and I thought he was so brilliant, and, uh, I was 20 years too late. He'd been dead for a long time by that point, but, um, so that's kind of the long and the short version, and then, right after that, I, um, right after I got that album and got super, super into Nirvana, my parents, or, um, the newspaper, the local newspaper wrote about us and uh, they took a picture of my family and I will, I'm going to send you guys the picture. It's uh, me. Wow. You did. Man, I'm impressed. Yeah. But uh, so everybody in this picture is like nicely dressed (laughs) and wearing collars and stuff. And I am wearing my Nirvana t-shirt to be on the front page of the newspaper. What was the article about? It was um, when I was a sophomore in high school, my parents took me and my siblings out of school for a semester and we traveled the country. Oh, so what every white people do now? I mean, it was it was pretty cutting edge at the time, I imagine. Are you saying you invented van life? That's what it sounds like (laughs) in a lot of ways. Yeah, in a lot of ways. In that he's always shit in a bucket. That's you know, that's Jake's thing. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, I met Jimmy Buffett yesterday. Yeah. How'd that go? It was fine. Did he was he going door to door or yeah. selling flip flops? <laughs> He's Mormon now. Nice. What? He's Mormon Very and cool. selling Margaritaville t shirts door to door. So you know, <laughs> well, I I don't know which one combo, came first. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, virgin, now they're virgin Mormon, you're doing a joke. <laughs> Damn, you yeah. got me really excited for a second there that maybe he had converted. I mean he doesn't drink anymore. I mean Colorado isn't that far from Utah, so maybe he was making a pilgrimage. <laughs> he doesn't have to change that many words about cheeseburgers in paradise. God damn. I can basically stay the same song. Do you guys want to know something I think about all the time is when he was on South Park as the and uh, uh, performing at an AIDS benefit and he changed the lyrics uh to and I I I don't think it's actually him. But Eight. they changed the lyrics to AIDS burgers in paradise. <laughs> <laughs> I think about that joke. There's a really good joke. So the guys who did like uh, Beer Fest and Super Troopers, they made a movie called Club Dread, and it's like a horror movie set at like a private island owned by a Jimmy Buffett-esque character. And the nice. guy, I think he's called like uh, Sailor Pete or something. And well, uh, he got famous off him. of a song called um, Pina Colada Berg. <laughs> <laughs> And he gets mad anytime anybody brings up Margaritaville. Uh, oh, that's funny. Pina Colada Berg awesome. just really cracks me up. Pina Colada Berg is <laughs> some good shit, man. All right, well, PJ, should we go into our favorite segment? Well, one of our favorite segments. Our uh, Roadhouse Brews. <laughs> All right. Uh, PJ, what is your Roadhouse Brew? Uh, my Roadhouse Brew is a uh, ice cold glass of Diet Pepsi Cola, classic Ooh, taste, beautiful. aspartame included. Of course, you have to have it. It's what gives it that nice bite, like Barks yeah. has. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Barks does have a bite. I've heard that about it. It's good. It's the best root beer. 
That is, is that their slogan? That should be their slogan. Th- it, their slogan is Barks Root Beer. It's good. Literally. <laughs> oh, okay. I thought it should be Barks Has a Bite because it's, you know, Bark and Bite. And, um, oh, it is. Yeah, it is. Barks it's has, Barks, has, Barks bite. has Bite. That's oh, why I said it. I love it. Yeah. But, like, their cans say it. it's good. <laughs> so funny to me. Uh, Jake, what, what's your roadhouse brew these days? So I am enjoying a delicious, one of the finest beers that you can get in all of these great United States, a Coors Banquet. Hell oh, yeah, fantastic. brother. Official yeah, sponsorship. Of- <laughs> now, PJ, how close are you to finding Adolf Coors's uh, golden fountain of eternal youth that the Coors Banquet <sighs> water comes from up in the Colorado mountains there? Well, it, it's difficult because there's just so many mountains, and yes, you would think <laughs> you know it's brewed in beautiful Golden, Colorado, and he's sure. hidden his gold in a mountain near there. It's it's just hard, you know. It's hard to navigate. Yeah. So many people are out searching. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I'm getting closer and closer every day. I have to That's steal good. the declaration of good beer from the mm-hmm. Coors factory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I recently was reading um, about the current members of Augusta National uh, because I was uh, bored at work and I thought that'd be a fun thing to look up hmm. and uh, of the the golf course that the Masters is played on in Georgia and the no the we scene... knew that I'm yeah, glad yeah, you yeah. elaborated totally, for 100% the hundred percent the yeah. golf course that the Masters are playing Green yeah, Jacket yeah. I get it. Um, yeah Green Jacket uh, Swift Crack of the Bat we all know uh, but. <laughs> I um the current CEO of Coors is a member and I felt kind of betrayed Hell that yeah. A he would be a golfer and B he would golf in in fucking in Dixieland. Like that's yeah. really disgusting. Uh, for for America's finest beer, you should be only golfing in the Union States. Oh yeah. <laughs> of which Colorado is one, I guess, or no? Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't think it was a state. I think you've maybe never seen Smokey and the Bandit, Pete. All right. Well, uh, I am it's drinking. Rated, it's rated R, so Peter's not allowed to see it. That's right. That's right. There's... I am drinking a uh, an, a full sale amber ale. Oh. An, an Oregon classic. Uh, are they the same people who have the university? Yeah, full, full sale, sale university. university. Yeah. Yeah. That's where Jimmy Buffett went. Yeah. Yeah. To get his degree in t-shirt design hey i'm just now realizing we never heard anything about you meeting jimmy buffett and why did you meet why did you meet jimmy buffett it's uh, we did he was going door to door he's a mormon now yeah i thought oh, we wrapped yeah. it up fine actually we did a bit <laughs> I mean, okay oh i'm confused <laughs> i want to hear the actual story um so i work for a nonprofit, and uh jimmy buffett owns land uh near aspen and so for all of our <laughs> real quick, real quick, real quick, I have a, I have a question, Peter. How's your ass been? Oh, it's great. That's good. It's all been right. Good. PJ, continue. Um, what was just happening there, Pete? Did somebody come uh, in and tickle you? <laughs> no, Shelby's sister's dogs are hounds of hell, <laughs> and completely untrained. And so when they jump on the couch, which they're not supposed to do, literally the only way to get them off is either to drag them off. Or since I'm holding a bunch of stuff because I'm recording, I have to literally shove them off with my feet. <laughs> They're it, the worst dogs on earth. It it looked like somebody was coming in and tickling you and you're trying to <laughs> yeah, fight him off with your microphone. Basically, he got up and was like trying to lean against me on the couch. And, no, mm-hmm. go away. Um, But uh, anyway, he owns Land Up Near Aspen. Uh and he uh, let us use the site for our do- like our large donors. So 
we, you know, just basically had an event that was like, thanks for donating to us guys. And then mm-hmm. we, you know, sat around and mingled with people who were like, so how do you feed people food? Um, cause they have no idea how a food bank works and, mm-hmm. sure. uh, you have to explain it to them like they're a child. And, um, he was there. I like, I shook his hand and said hi. And that was about it. Didn't yeah. get a picture or anything. So. I, I don't imagine him being a particularly interesting guy. He was very nice. Oh, I be, I don't doubt that. I well, just, yeah. He, he let a bunch of poor people use his ranch. <laughs> a bunch of unwashed, hungry people. Well, they got to go to the food bank. There were there were two unwashed, hungry people. Everybody else is a donor. So. Oh, oh yeah. okay, okay. Do they bring the they they take the two out of their their cage their uh, their geek yeah, cage to show off? Yeah. This is who we're yeah. helping. Yeah. yeah. Well, one yeah, of them they, was me, and then the other one uh-huh. was my yeah. buddy Josh. They're like, they're like, good news, nice. geek. You don't have to kill and eat that chicken today. <laughs> you can <laughs> exactly. you can meet the Margaritaville guy. I don't know if you know, but this guy wrote "Son of a Son of a Sailor." Wow. Okay, so incredible. He's the son, yeah, of a son, yeah, of a sail. Yes, exactly. It's like if the huh. Pawn Stars were on a boat. <laughs> so that's like if I wrote a song called "Son of a Son of a Dairy Farmer." Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or a son of a son of an alcoholic guy who worked at Kodak. <laughs> sure. Yeah, that's really got a nice ring my, to it. None of my family's allowed to listen to this now. Uh, PJ, well, that, tell that us about this. One sounds like a Paul Simon song. So what was that? Pete? Yeah. Tell us about this handshake. Firm, soft. How were his hands? Did you feel the guitar calluses? The guitar. What's his dick calluses? look like? What's his dick look like? Um, yeah. like not uncircumcised, but not circumcised. I can't really explain it. Oh my god! It. Oh, a half, half a and half. half. He, yeah. He got. Could... Did he? Does he have a mohawk where they circumcise the sides and lift the top long? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. What um, but he, you know, uh. It was a very normal handshake. Uh-huh. Not, too, not too firm. Just right. Peter, Just like Jake most... Guest, Milkatoast. Who's the most famous person you've shook hands with? Great question. Herb uh, Albert. Uh, nope. Phone interview. Uh, Huey Lewis. Up there. True. But I got. I, I honestly feel like there has to be someone more famous than that. But Ken Kesey. Maybe. Most of my very famous people were over the phone. Mm-hmm. So it's really possible that that was it. That's what I remember anyway. Probably Huey Lewis. Probably. That's a good one. What about you, Jake? Um, if you say Jake... a baseball player, I'm going to fucking lose my mind. No, Jason Isbell probably. Uh. Mm, yeah. Oh, um, I don't know. Do you think? No, Huey Lewis. Never mind. I was like, I've shaken, shook, shaken, shooken. I've shaked hands with a couple of comedians, but definitely no one more famous than Huey Lewis, so. Yeah, yeah, same. And but yeah, I can't. I'm trying to. I'm. Tr- I'm looking around my room to see which eyes <laughs> I have to see if that will remind me. But no, Jason's probably Jason's probably the biggest one. So who do we think is more famous, Jimmy Buffett or Huey Lewis? Jimmy Buffett. So yeah, I Jimmy Buffett, Buffett. way I, more famous. So I win for sure. Yeah, you Jimmy do Buffett win. is like probably one of the best-selling American recording artists. He's Bob Dylan's favorite songwriter. He's That's our next. He's the next he, show we're doing. Bob Dylan has Jimmy said Duffin. that. Yeah, Bob Dylan has said a lot of things. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> like the N word in that one song. Yikes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. 
Fuck cancel culture. Uh, <laughs> Honestly, how funny would it be if Bob Dylan came out with that guitar? <laughs> you were like, you were oh. like, uh, you, you were looking real close at it. And you were like, oh, Bob Dylan's got a, a guitar with the Coke logo on it. That's like cool and vintage. And then you look at it, it actually says fuck cancel culture. I don't even know if that conversation that was on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, everyone, Google guy from Disturbed fuck cancel culture guitar, and you'll see what made us yeah. laugh really hard on the unrecorded part earlier. Yeah. Well, that's been Roadhouse Brews. <laughs> All right, let's get to another segment. Uh, we have some listener mail. All right, listener mail. So we have two pieces of mail this week. Uh, the first one is from, I think, a brand new letter writer, uh, which is pretty incredible because who knew we had always, fans? Honestly, who knew we had fans more than the like three people who email us a lot? So yeah. Uh, so it's from a guy named, well, a person. Let's say a person named Joe. Uh, Starts out saying, hey, BB-B, hope you're doing well. Love that. That's my um, favorite pornography category. Yeah. Oh, no, are we doing this again? <laughs> Long-time yeah. fans of the show will remember. <laughs> uh, okay, wanted to drop a note thanking you for covering Badfinger. Oh, by the way, the subject is Badfinger feedback, which really is a subject line you would get from your boss who's annoyed at the way you, like, did your project wrong or something? So. Bad finger feedback was an email I got from a girl in high school. So. <laughs> she emailed you. Yeah, she did. Uh, so Joe that's, is, how bad, that's how bad it was. This person was the one person who ever used the subject line in the Apple text messages. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my dad does bad that finger and freaks feedback. me out. I will also say, it. Joe is not a new... Is that right? Okay. Joe, Joe was the well, one who was an older gentleman who said the thing about Nirvana not being important until they died. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah. Just the full name showed Bad up. Take, Joe. Got it. Okay, okay. Sorry, Joe. Your full name didn't show up for me on the earlier email, so I didn't realize it was the same person. All right. Wanted to drop a note thanking you for covering Badfinger. Joe, you're very welcome. Uh, <laughs> this is the first time during your podcast that I wasn't just seeing what you thought about something that I already had an opinion on. Okay. We can't control that. Uh, it's quite <laughs> embarrassing, but I guess I never knew who Badfinger was. Not embarrassing. Ooh. Most of the world doesn't know who they are. Yeah, it's basically Peter who knows who they are. It's and that's, fine. Uh, yeah. and, well, uh, so the two biggest uh, like spikes in Badfinger's listenership over the past decade are obviously your podcast and then yeah. Yeah. them being the last thing that you hear in Breaking Bad. Yeah. Yes. Well, they yes. got yeah. two songs in Breaking Bad. What's their other one? Didn't they get another one in there? We only talked so. about Baby Blue. Baby, I think it's just Baby Blue. I thought there You're was thinking one. of the associations. Windy. Oh, I um, am absolutely thinking that song. <laughs> Let's see. I I knew all of their hit songs, but had just attributed them to someone else. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, my cousin uh, made that song. Yeah, depending on the song, I think I just thought they were either the Beatles, Wings, or maybe ELO. I'm not sure, but they were quite good, and it's crazy I never looked into who they were. Yeah, they were fine. Yeah. Besides their hits, I did pick up on one song that you guys didn't really give much airtime to. Uh, Without You was a big hit by Air Supply. Wow, my wife's favorite band. 
Yeah, uh, which is I had a no crazy idea. Fact. Yeah, I had no Such idea this was a cool cover song. <laughs> and I did not figure this out by searching for young dudes who are into <laughs> blank, which is a reference to his previous email. Uh, I'm not an Air Supply fan. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Funny Seinfeld reference about homophobia. Uh, finally, <laughs> I leave you with some constructive. Can you tell Joe grew up in the 90s? Uh, finally, I leave you with some constructive criticism. Uh, well, okay. We don't take that, Joe, by the way. <laughs> constructive or non-constructive. Criticism what if is not our What bad. if it's just cut the dead weight, make it a Peter show? <laughs> oh, that oh. would be crazy. Yeah. Uh, you need to find some... S- <laughs> you need to find some synonyms for mid-tempo. I've listed three below. One, moderato. Two, medium-paced. Three, intermediate cadence. Take care, Joe. Well, Joe, to that uh, I say, this is very specific to our Badfinger era because they would release entire albums of mid-tempo songs. Joe, I, my only response is that Badfinger needed to write less mid-tempo songs, and then we wouldn't have a problem here. Yeah, that's that's more the issue, I think, at hand. I do. You know what, Joe? I appreciate it because intermediate cadence made me laugh very much. It's pretty so. good. I think Joe needs to find another word for unsubscribe. What he needs to do for this show. No, Jake, don't do that. Don't do that. We need all subscribers. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, okay. So thank you, Joe, very much for writing in. I think it's been a while since you sent that, but it's been a minute since we've recorded. And I promise... Yeah, it's been almost a month. Uh, I promise I will respond to that at some point, but no no promises. He won't. He absolutely won't. Uh, all right. Our next one is from a long-time, long-time listener, long-time writer, uh, Nathan, one of our, I would say one of our two. Uh, yeah, uh, super what fans. What would you say? Regular writers, uh, yeah, regular okay. uh, emailers. Well, super fans is good too. And but okay. Nathan, and never the twain shall meet. Um, <laughs> so Nathan, once again... Fan E letter. Thank you, Nathan. Hello. I've been loving the 27 Club so far. That's oh. nice of you to say. Wait, has Nathan <laughs> so far? during the 27 Club? Yes. yes. Hmm. All right. Well, I'm glad he's still enjoying it. I've especially enjoyed hearing about Badfinger. I'd come across their name when reading about the Beatles, but never got around to listening to them. Definitely worth it. That's nice to say. Uh, I found it hilarious how Jim Morrison lived on a roof. Yes, it's <laughs> as yeah. It we also about course, it had yeah. me laughing so much and made me think it would be funny to record a Doors style version of "In My Room," except titled "On My Roof." So I did it. I thought you'd both find it kind of funny. And then he links to it, and then says, "Excited to listen to the rest of the Twenty Seven Club with you both and whatever else you do in the future." Thanks, Nathan. Aw, that's so nice. Do you think Nathan's gonna stay a subscriber when we turn? into a very serious true crime podcast next next uh, series. Yeah, when we investigate the murders of the guys who committed suicide in Badfinger. Have you guys heard about John Benet Ramsey? Oh, we're going to hear about it. That's some fucked up shit, honestly. Okay, so thank you, Nathan. Um, I think I have one really big problem with this email. I, yeah, and I would is, agree. So I... I will be honest. I did not go back to listen to the episode where this, where I thought this came up. It might have been off air, but I said out loud to PJ while we were both in front of microphones at the very least, it might not have made this it into true. an episode. Yeah. I can, but vouch. I said, Hey, I should do a parody this season. Cause I've done parody songs. Each, each other series we've done. I should do a parody of in my room with on my roof. 
and then oh. I was just too lazy to ever do it. <laughs> and it's so a Nathan, funny bit. Nathan either beat me to it by the law of parallel thinking, or Nathan straight up stole it and is trying to take credit for it. So I mean, the way, way I see it, I, the way I see it, he stole it, and he yeah. should also unsubscribe. We're, Nathan's no, a real well, Dane Cook of parody songwriting. Yeah, we're gonna get yeah. the same guys he's, who sued Zeppelin. He's yeah. really hot. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so should we give this a little bit of a listen, PJ? Let's do it. And this is extra uh, poignant because I believe Jake was on the episode where he talked about In My Room and Jake was on the yeah. Doors episode. So There you go. It's perfect. Look at, we did this on purpose. See, Nathan, I didn't respond to your email for multiple weeks because we had a plan. This already There's sounds like it's a lot better produced than Leather me. jeans where I can eat no, never my mind. beans. On my roof On my roof On this roof Oh, I thought that was the whole thing for a second. I can sing alone the lizard I do appreciate that he's done it in the style of the doors. Roof. Yeah. This is already more work than I ever would have put into it. Do my writing and my crying lie Venice Beach <laughs> Do my trippin' Mr. Mojo Rising High on LSD Now it's dark The moment sure With my can opener Way up high On my roof <laughs> On my roof Wow. So I think we have to assume that's Nathan playing the uh, the instrumentation there, right? Uh, well, the the thing on soundtrack on SoundCloud is called Me and My Friend, so it could have been either Nathan or his friend. Um, yeah. Oh, or do you think Nathan was the musician and the friend is singing? It could be. I don't know either mm. way. There's no way the to man's know. Voice. Yeah. All right, Nathan, and, follow up. Let us know who yeah. is singing. This is a real, like, you want to know if that, was that Brian or Carl? They kind of, you know, yeah. You need to know. <laughs> you guys, you want to hear my review of the song? I would love to. That's a lovely, lovely voice. I thought he had a lovely voice. <laughs> I didn't hear anything. Oh, yeah, what, what did you just do? I I played Bane from uh, Dark Knight Rises oh, saying play it that's a, a lot lovely, closer lovely to voice. your microphone. All right. <laughs> All right you guys want to hear my review of the song? That's a lovely, lovely voice. It's so garbled, dude. I think you already can't hear because yeah, that's Bane's right, voice. Fine, Bro, fine, that's Bane's voice. Fine. What a lovely voice. You could have just done what that. What a lovely... Uh, just, I, that scene is so... I, I think that's so funny that Bane compliments <laughs> that kid's singing before blowing him up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, you that know, kid deserved it. That kid was a little asshole. Yeah. We don't talk about that yeah. enough. It was a fucking fascist as far as I'm concerned. All right. And that has been Listener Mail. Tell all the people. All right. So let's get into Nirvana. It's I forgot what we were even doing on today's show, to be honest. <laughs> it's been, been so minute. long. It's been <laughs> so long. Um, For people. <laughs> God, it's been almost two hours already. <laughs> <laughs> all right it sure has. so let's get into nirvana uh so we are fully into their post Nevermind. i guess ascendance it feels like wait, you know 
We're into their What's post up? or not. You said never mind. I'm not sure. You said post never mind. Yeah. Uh, the um, album Nevermind has already been released. And it is already a hit. But what's been released? The, you album, said the album and then you said nevermind. Yeah, the album that is named the word nevermind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, so the album so uh, we don't need to know the album's name. Yeah. Exactly. That's what I'm yeah. gleaning okay. here. It goes right. Nirvana's second album goes number one, goes to number one in January of nineteen ninety two. Uh, they have a hit song and smells like teen spirit. They're on top of the world. Uh, the album named Nevermind. Don't interrupt me. Just go with it. Um, in total, not at the time, but in total sells 7 million copies in the U.S. and 30 million in the world. Damn. It's global. Yeah. That is so, 30 million is so many. <laughs> yes. That's more people than I've ever met. So, Probably. Yeah, just to remind us of the Geffen Records guys' great quote we read last time. I'll just paraphrase it this time. But describing Nevermind as a duck and get out of the way album. Yeah. Where in terms of promotion, I think specifically, he was like, we didn't do anything. We just kept the presses running. That was all we did. So, What do you um, think that was? I mean, I guess we've, we've discussed, you've discussed Nevermind, but like, were they just that good? Like I think so. Yeah. I do. I do think that record is is flawless, basically. But like, what about them just spoke to that exact second? That's a good question. I think mm. I was actually about to get into a little bit of like some some you know context at the time. But in terms of the music, I guess I would say "Smells Like Teen Spirit" is just an insanely catchy song. It's ridiculous. And yeah. So. I think and in then that the, I way, mean, and also the like, whole top, the front of that album is like just banger hit after, after banger hit. after banger. Yeah. yeah, you mean the cover? Yeah, yeah, the album art. <laughs> yeah. That that's really so good. funny too. That's from sold that baby's 30, face to his little toes. It's that sold <laughs> that baby's 30, hit after hit. <laughs> Thirty million copies for something with a child's penis on the cover. Like, how many more could it have sold if it didn't have a child's penis on the cover? That's is was Thriller in Jeopardy if they had just had a picture of like well, Kurt yeah. smiling? Yeah. Oh, that was actually an original album well, cover. Michael Jackson had. Yeah, yeah. He really Sorry, wanted Michael Jackson. Actually, yeah. that was a he bad really idea. wanted a kid's penis on there. But. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I would say it was partially that. I would also say just like a little bit of armchair analysis that they really captured. I mean, this is later in the MTV era but they really nailed the MTV style ascendancy just because they also had a distinctive and very like easy to copy, but, but um, radical for the time look about Uh them as a band. And so like grunge is as much a style and look as it is the music and the life. So this is also when MTV started do like, for a long time, MTV was, you know, just the music videos, but this is when they started to have, like, the MTV news and stuff. Like, uh-huh. MTV was, awards. Yeah. That yeah. was pretty new around the early 90s, I think. And so yeah. they would get interviewed a lot, and I think they're all pretty personable guys, except for Chris yeah. Novoselic. Like, nobody really knows what he's about. Yeah. But but Kurt is, is, when he is willing to engage, which was rare, but yeah. very, very funny. And also, yeah. I don't know if you talked about this, but just... Like, one of the hottest people of all time. He was so handsome. We have not talked about this. Actually, yeah. that's something I, just, I think we were going to do next week was to do okay. a Who Would You Fuck from Nirvana. Nirvana, we can't give Jake, I'm sorry, Jake. We can't give he you was, every single yeah. beautiful. He was beautiful. Yeah. Just with the eyes and the long... Yeah. I mean, he was, like, just 
absolutely beautiful. And that, I think, helped them a lot, too. You know, if they were a bunch of uggos, I don't think they're getting as big. But, yeah, you know, he so, gets out there and shakes his little ass, and all of a sudden all the girls want to come over and play. Well, his tiny or his tiny butt and his big head, yeah. Yeah, yes. it's, he's a 27 Club member, yeah. Yeah, um, <laughs> so yeah that's what Harry Styles has got to look out. To kind of sum up some of the, like, larger impact that like music historians now have kind of assigned to grunge um comparing it to like rock's initial ascendance in the 50s in terms of being this Mm youth-led thing um and also the way like i was just talking about how it's more than just music it's a whole like lifestyle and look and way you can do your hair and wear clothes yeah just like that like it it offers (laughs) yeah it like offers a way to get into the cool thing at like every single level of your life from the most basic thing of putting on uh ripped up jeans to like being whole hog into into grunge Mm -hmm. so um i think in that way that helped it really well and then also just they get compared a lot, obviously, against hair metal and like that kind of overblown arena Guns yes. and Roses type rock that was around at the end of the 80s in the early 90s. And like the whole vibe of that was very macho, very over the top, like cock rocky kind of stuff with like counterplayed with like very saccharine almost ballads. Um and so them doing a like obviously stripped down thing um but much more musical and lyrical and they were like moody sensitive yeah like good looking guys who were you know looked like the cool kid in the back of your history class instead of yeah whatever slash looked like in 1992 so well no one knows what slash looked like that was the yeah, problem exactly he's, he's hiding under that hat and so all that hair. Right? yeah i i, I think but any you know, man who wears know. a hat like that you know he's got a big wiener yeah so do you think when slash takes the hat off the hair comes with yeah that's always that's <laughs> One, my theory 100 i think it's connected yes. <laughs> yeah. i think it didn't at it didn't for a while but it definitely does. it was probably real for a minute but yeah, yeah. definitely right now yeah. slash as soon as he realized it was a look he yeah. got the wig made, you like, know, right then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I've heard the rumor that Slash is also actually Pitbull, so... Huh. Yeah. Wow. I have heard the rumor Mr. that Worldwide? I know, I know that, that you want me, so... Uh, so, let's... It's a Pitbull. It's Pitbull. More, more Nirvana oh. news. We've talked about a couple of Kirk's girlfriends so far, but we have not touched on his main squeeze, Courtney Love. Whoa. Oh, his yeah. murderer, uh, so, mm-hmm. like, like many many a rock tale, there are multiple stories of how they met, and no one knows which one is actually true. They met either in 1989, 1990, or 1991, <laughs> or maybe 1987, depending on who you ask. That's why he's such a good rock star, is we don't know any of this stuff. Every rock star, Jake. Even the, mo- even the boring ones. Even Chris Bell. It was maybe like, that's oh, there's why, some stuff we don't know. <laughs> maybe that's why it feels like there's no rock stars anymore, is everyone's too well documented with social media. Like, you need mystery. You need For anyone to, wondering... Like, there's dogs trying to build a bobsled and go sledding in the background where I am. Oh, that's so. cool. Yeah. It's not, it's summer. They're like, we're going to build the one on wheels to practice, but it's very loud. Yeah, like so the Jamaicans do. Yeah. They saw that movie and it's just a pack of, they're sled dogs, but they're like, we want to be in the sled. Uh, okay. So. 
<laughs> they what they did meet they did meet at some point. Uh, apparently, initially, Courtney had a crush on Kirk, and Kirk was not. Uh, I I don't think he didn't like her or anything, but he was really in a place right now where he didn't want a relationship at all. So he was a little standoffish, but they eventually started hanging out together and bonded over music. Uh, They were both artists. Like he drew a lot, as we talked about. She was really into poetry. They both got into like poetry and journaling together and stuff. Um, And obviously drugs. Yeah. Oh, hell yeah. We lost a dog on that run. Okay. Um, It just fell out. Didn't die. Didn't die. Um, okay. So what I heard. this was, so, I mean, what, at the latest they met in like fall 91, they got married in February, 1992. It was a pretty quick, uh, courtship. <laughs> mm. Um, and then she went on to kill him a year later. Exactly. They got married on Save this Wai- for the next episode. <laughs> on Waikiki beach in Hawaii. Um, Courtney Love wore a vintage dress that had belonged to the actor Francis Farmer, uh, who we'll talk more about when we get to the album. She an actress uh, and she then, a farmer. Yeah, and then Kirk wore green pajamas. <laughs> the yeah, photos really cool. the photos are very fun from the wedding. They're very cute. He he, yeah. he he looks genuinely very happy, which yeah. he, you know, often didn't. So it's And like and there's her a great, dress. Oh, go ahead. There's a great picture of the two of them and he's wearing like a like a, a, not a purse, but it's like a big bag, like a big yeah, yeah. bag. He has like and, a tote uh, bag kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, and there's a great picture of them arm in arm with Dave Grohl, who's wearing a lei. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> it looks like they're having fun, which they are yeah. so thought of as this like serious rock band. Yeah. That it is fun to see him cutting loose a little bit. This is some, that's something that Sean said last week, uh, is that people forget that like they're really funny people. Oh, Kurt was mm-hmm. re like in interviews. He's very funny. Is he? Is Dave Grohl wearing a Tasmania well, T-shirt? He's what is his T-shirt? Tasmanian Devil. Did he start the Looney Tunes trend? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's just there's some really there's some fun photos. We know he's there. a human Muppet, but um, it's true. So yeah, they're kind of fun because like Kirk's wearing pajamas, and then Courtney's dress is like kind of almost looks like a night dress kind of thing. So it kind of just looks like they got out of bed and their hair is all messed up. You know, like it just looks like they rolled out of bed and got married. It's pretty cool. Uh Uh, So mostly the, both of them did heroin together, um, which we also have not really touched on heroin heroin use yet. So he's been using since 1987 at this point, but wasn't really a full on addict until around 1990. Mm -hmm. Um, which explains why bleach was so good. Uh, he said, <laughs> it's... yeah, he said he took it to manage a chronic stomach condition. Uh, but Buzz Osborne, the guy we've talked about a lot who started the Melvins and was his high school buddy. Um, he claimed that the chronic pain actually came from the heroin and that Kirk used that as an excuse. So, hmm. yeah, I mean, I think that's kind yeah. of a common thing is like, yeah. To, to, to pretend that something is going on that you're trying to medicate because that right. sounds easier than just, I really want to do heroin. Yeah. I mean, and not to like, I don't know. I, I'm not trying to uh, armchair analyze Kirk from the grave, mm-hmm. but, you know, he probably has a lot of mental issues going on, I have to assume, to be, yeah. you know, like, anyway. To write um, lyrics that fucked up, like a song I mean later. To, 
Like, I don't know. This is so frustrating because I actually really love Nirvana and I think he is a good lyricist. And every time I listen to this show, I just have to listen to PJ saying stuff like that over and over again. Jake, that's how the entirety of our bad finger run was. And the the most frustrating. Very, very good. And PJ cannot abide. And the most. Oh, bad finger's great. You're wrong on that one, PJ. Uh, Uh, But but, every. um, I mean, they're not the Beatles. They were cursed by being. No, but they tried to be. One of the first bands to be. Yeah, they sound very Beatles. They are what Greta Van Fleet is to Led Zeppelin to the Beatles. They are. Okay, okay. that's. Yeah. So Kirk (laughs) had his first of, I think, three near overdoses um in 1992 uh after they performed on snl oh yeah um and who was all on the cast in 1992 great question i do not know i do not know oh we don't Um, actually have to go over bill Hader. i watched yeah i watched the video of them performing pete Pete davidson fucked courtney love yeah chevy chase was there i'm pretty sure I watched the video he of them was, recording, but it was obviously just um, the host. Jake Novak. <laughs> That's a reference for anyone who's Hell really yeah. into TikTok. Oh, yeah. dude, yeah. I cannot also, stop watching that video. We never actually... Videos. I'm just going to keep going. We never actually talked about this on the uh, podcast yet, but Kirk is... He plays left-handed, just like Jimi Hendrix. Sure Whoa. Um, and Robert Johnson, maybe. We never know. Yeah, true. Those so pictures apparently, could have been flipped. I hadn't. This is the first episode where I ended up watching a ton of videos just because they got really famous. So there was a bunch of videos like SNL and the MTV Video Awards and stuff. So he apparently early on played upside down, but apparently around this time, Fender started custom making him left-handed guitars. So he started playing those. So in all the like, in all the like very you know shots from their very famous period, he's playing the left-handed Jaguar. Is that he what he played? Yes, he played a Jaguar. I thought yeah. it was a Mustang. Is it a Mustang? I think it's a Mustang. Let's look it up. I don't remember. Kirk Cobain guitar. <laughs> I'm, I want to say it's a Jaguar, but... Now pieces of the... It's a Fender pieces, Mustang. Um, wow, good pull, Pete. Yeah. Pieces uh, of the bobsled have broken off, and they're fighting over that like they're... They're fighting over chewing on the sticks. Like their wow. Bones. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so, twisted. yeah. All right. So now we get to what can only be the greatest part of this episode and maybe the best part of the 27 Club. Although Jim Morrison living on a roof for a summer is up there. We are going to go step by step, detail by detail, through Nirvana's feud with Guns N' Roses. Hell yeah. <laughs> yes. Which I am so happy I found out about because I, when I did the notes for this, I got to the end and then I realized that I didn't actually read through the band Wikipedia page because it has very different info than what's on Kurt and the album's Wikipedia pages. So I went back to the band Wikipedia page and there was a one-line reference to their feud with Guns N' Roses and I did some Googling and oh boy. (laughs) So... Guns N' Roses, as we've talked about many times, are like the prototypical famous late 80s, early 90s rock band that Nirvana, quote unquote, killed. Um, yeah. They're or better at least than they're a lot a good... of those. Like, yeah, true. I think like, that's Poison, true. Poison is the band. Like That's the style yeah. of band that Nirvana really killed. Like Guns N' Roses were legitimately quite good. For sure. Think, the um, yeah. Sweet Child of Mine guitar solo is one of the best guitar so good. solos of yeah. all time. Yeah. Yeah. I that mean, whole is... record is great. And then and then they let Axel just lose his mind basically, but it's that, 
Appetite for Destruction front to back is a great record. Bands like Guns N' Roses and ACDC fall into a category where I call dumb guy rock, where it's like, it's enjoyable yeah. music to listen to, but if that is your favorite band, you're probably a dumb guy. You know? <laughs> wow. It's me. All right. Nice. But am I wrong? No, I don't think so. Uh, okay. So, Axel invited Nirvana. So, this is after Nevermind when they were huge. Mm-hmm. Hello. Um, Axel invited Nirvana to perform at his birthday party and to tour with Guns N' Roses. No, dog. Now they're bringing parts of the bobsled to me to throw for them. Um, And tour with Guns N' Roses and Metallica, but the band declined uh, for both. No. Axel was offended. He was Uh, just telling, he was yelling at PJ who was trying to eat another snickerdoodle. (laughs) Axel was offended. They don't like hearing it on mic. I disagree. (laughs) <laughs> and went on a rant at a tour stop in Orlando and called. He told the crowd that both Kirk and Courtney were junkies, and if their kid was born deformed, they should both go to jail. Oh, dear. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I skipped over. But that was also. That was a mainstream belief was that was that Courtney Love should be in jail for for having a child. Yeah, like, thankfully, was... we've gotten past just trying to get random women in jail. That's we're we're so far past that as a <laughs> for country. having children. Yeah, people having children, being associated with going to jail yeah, or being anything illegal. Yeah, yeah. Thirty uh-huh. years um, later, we've come a long way. Yeah, mm-hmm. I also I did forget to mention mid year nineteen ninety two. Courtney is pregnant. Um, and their kid, Francis Bean, one of the cutest names of all time. Such a good name. Yeah. Um, was born in August 92. So this is, I think, right, yeah, this is right before the baby was supposed to be born. And then the baby will be born in the middle of this story. So Axel shouts all that stuff at a concert in Orlando about a week later. So the baby must have been born already? Or was it born this week? Who knows? Um... So about a week later, they both ended up at the MTV Video Awards. And at this, apparently at the MTV Video Awards in 1992, the major stars were Guns N' Roses, Nirvana, as like the best new artist, and they were, you know, stealing the spotlight a little bit, and Elton John. (laughs) (laughs) So they all end up at the MTV Video Awards. So these are, I never got his name, but the drummer from Guns N' Roses. Duff McKeegan. Yeah. No, no Duff McKeegan's the, the bassist. bassist. Duff, yeah. Duff's the bassist, yeah. The other one that nobody knows. Yeah. Uh, so the drummer from Guns N' Roses and the bass player both said that they legitimately liked Nirvana and their music and everything and were kind of offended that Nirvana said no, thinking that they were like, what are you too cool for us? Like, we're trying to reach out and like, you know, you're the new the new cool band in town, and but we like you. So, and apparently Axel, when he showed up, to the MTV Video Awards, wanted to make, wanted to apologize and make up. So, first, uh, so this is just a kind of fun side thing. During the rehearsals for the awards show, these guys could not be louder. During the rehearsals for the awards show, Nirvana played "Rape Me," and the producers <laughs> said, mm, "How about Smells Like Teen Spirit?" Uh, yeah. And they said, not that fucking thing again. Um, <laughs> and so they agreed on lithium to be performed yeah. during the concert or during as their like live performance during the award show. So while they were waiting to go on, Nirvana were sitting around outside the stage door uh, and Courtney was there holding Francis. So Axel walks by with a bunch of bodyguards 
and Courtney yells at him, hey, Axel, do you want to be the godfather? <laughs> <laughs> they were funny. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They were funny. Hmm. Uh, so apparently Axel freaks out and comes over and starts screaming at Kirk, who, let's see, I have a quote from a quote from Kirk uh, in a, a interview. A Kirk quote? Yeah. yeah. He says, quote, Axel said, you shut your bitch up or I'm taking you down to I've, the pavement. <laughs> Which is such a great, weird turn of phrase. I'll take you down to the pavement. Yeah, um, that is very good. So I turned to Courtney and said, shut up, bitch. So I guess I did what he wanted me to do. Be a man. So and then Dave Grohl said later, they like, obviously, Kirk was saying it super sarcastically and they thought it was really funny because it was like not at all his and Courtney's relationship. Yeah. And they also all knew Courtney was like very much her own person who would, you know, get into her own fights. So, mm-hmm. you Just know, Ax- Axel is so, uh, you know, like considered a part of L.A. now. But it is fun to hear stories like that. And you remember you reminded like, oh, yeah, this guy's from Louisiana. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Like, right. yeah, this this guy's got some Billy in him. Yeah. yeah. My um, favorite thing is that he talks a lot of shit and he didn't really ever get in a fight until uh tommy hilfiger and him got in a fight at like some award <laughs> show and tommy hilfiger beat the shit out of him <laughs> like really he good. lost the fight <laughs> so apparently so axel and courtney yell at each other some more axel's girlfriend gets in on it but they end up leaving the band so later uh so duff uh mckagan the bass player from guns and roses hears secondhand about this he comes across Chris Christofferson walking around backstage and him being, or yeah, the bass player is super drunk and high out of his mind and is in the mood to fight. And so he starts a dust up with Chris and his security like push him around a little bit. But Chris gets saved because they're supposed to perform. So the MTV people come hurt him on, on stage. Why would you pick a fight with Chris Novoselic who's like seven feet fucking yeah, tall? Exactly. I know. It's, it's really funny. One. Yeah. So yeah, Dave the Grohl guy was like a toothpick. Yeah. yeah, Duff said later he was like, "I was such an asshole. I was just so fucking drunk." And Axel was like, "These guys are being assholes." And I was like, "I gotta defend my bro." Like <laughs> it was just <laughs> a lot of drunk bros, basically. Uh-huh. Um, so the band ends up on stage. Kirk famously starts playing "Rape Me," including singing it to like mm-hmm. freak out the MTV people, and then they stop and actually play "Lithium." Uh, also. I think somewhat famously, Chris Chris Christopherson has this thing where he throws his bass up and catches it, and then they also have a thing where they like destroy their uh, their equipment and like push it all over on stage. So Chris goes to do that, but he's like nervous in the moment, and he misses catching it and it hits him yeah. in the head. I've seen this yeah. video, it's and hilarious. so he just like totally collapses, and they keep playing, and then they like break all their shit, and like Dave kicks the drums down and then Dave runs up and grabs the mic and starts just yelling, Hey Axel, Hey Axel, Hey Axel. <laughs> yeah. It's re- really funny. Should we uh, listen to some of that? Sure. Why not? Dana Carvey introduced them. <laughs> and now for all your lawn care needs, it's Nirvana. Montana's most famous. Sure is. Is that, I don't understand his joke, but I don't think Yeah, I mean, he gets, like, a couple lines in there. (laughs) 
Kirk is also wearing one of the coolest shirts I've ever seen. Is this the red and white checks? Y yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's it's like a paisley vintagey. Yeah. Thing. It's red and white though. Pretty good. Also, like, yeah. I mean, I think it's, I think it's probably like two thirds, one third these days. But, but yeah, nice to see them playing like totally live at the awards. He show, is also know, pretty rare. You can't quite maybe tell in your video because it probably isn't super high quality. But he is wearing a Daniel Johnston "Hi, How Are You" shirt, yeah. which is very cool. Like to give him exposure like that is awesome. Oh, here it is. <laughs> I think my impression was pretty good, I gotta it say. It was <laughs> quite good, yeah. So, after they play, uh, they come off stage, and Kirk decides to get into some shit. So he sneaks below stage, where on like risers that are going to bring the pianos up for their performances, there's two pianos. There's Axel's piano to play November Rain, and there's Elton John's <laughs> piano to play whatever the fuck Elton John was playing in 1992. Yeah. <laughs> so, Kirk spits loogies all over Axel's piano. <laughs> Hell as yeah, a, As a fun joke. Because he's and in then, third grade. And uh -huh. then runs back upstairs, and they sit there in the wings, rubbing their little palms, rubbing their little hands together. <laughs> so excited to see. And then Elton plays first. And the piano Kirk spit all over comes up for Elton, and Elton starts playing on Kirk's spit up piano. Oh, so oh boy, pretty fantastic. So during all this, the band's like handler from MTV uh, went back to their trailer to check on uh, Francis Bean, who was being who was with uh, a nanny. And when the handler got back there, they found a bunch of members of Guns N' Roses and their crew trying to tip the trailer over because wow. they are also in high school <laughs> uh so they freak out the band apparently to their credit i guess stops immediately when they hear there's actually like a baby inside yeah um they go oh shit oh shit oh shit and stop and so that's that's the story of their weird feud apparently like a very long time later duff and chris like officially made up mm -hmm. but i don't think like Oh, and then one of them, I forget, I think it was the drummer, was, like, the first guy to call Dave Grohl after Kirk died. And Dave Grohl said later, like, they were, you know, they were cool guys. It was just a weird, like, I'm weird sure they were all cool the guys VMA except yeah. Axl Rose. You yeah, know? right, exactly. Well, and, yeah. and Kurt was such a troll. Like, he was right. just such a dickhead because he was like funny and could get away with stuff that I'm sure he was really unbearable to be around. Well, yeah, and he was riling them up, obviously. And so. also, Cordy Love while was doing heroin while pregnant. You which know, is it's not probably good. similar to like hanging out with you guys in early college, huh? Where some I people didn't so. know if you were joking or not. Well, and Peter probably got like pregnant out with and was now. Peter got pregnant and was doing heroin. So yeah, yeah exactly. it's the same. Yeah. Um, oh, by the way, just as a funny aside, uh, so Slash obviously shows up nowhere in this story. Oh, Mr. Worldwide. Yeah. 
the the article I found about it quotes him once, and they say Slash said, "quote I don't have time for this shit," and did not participate. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he is Good way too him. famous to be doing this. Pretty, shit. Yeah. pretty fantastic. Yeah, absolutely, way too famous to be oh. doing this. Slash rules. Oh, you know, yeah. uh-huh. fuck Axel so, Rose, but Slash rules. Also, yeah. in the period after Nevermind comes out, um, Kirk wants to reorganize or like redo how they distribute royalties for the band because yes. apparently it was basically even up till now. But after two albums, he's like clearly the main songwriter. I think there have been maybe two band compositions on the, the last two albums. Um, he's clearly the main songwriter, and so he wants more money um so dave and chris said okay but then apparently got a little hurt when he came back at them with wanting to make it retroactive to encompass nevermind as well um like i don't think i don't think they had to pay him what they'd already earned but like from now on all the nevermind stuff i get two-thirds of or whatever the agreement was so apparently that hurt them and it apparently almost kind of broke up the band at the time and dave and chris never really forgave him for that (laughs) so which is an interesting move it's a little weird i don't you know like we've talked a lot about how they're all like probably cooler guys than people think of them as being but it's kind of an asshole move i get that he's like starting a family and probably is very much thinking of that and i also get he is the songwriter and like there's not nirvana without well I don't know if Nirvana exists without Dave Grohl either, but Nirvana definitely doesn't exist without Kurt. So I get it, but it is a little bit of a dick move. Yeah, Grohl for sure. is. I, I, I'm not the biggest fan of his just because I have not loved a lot of Foo Fighter stuff. But uh, as a drummer, re-listening to Bleach and then uh, and then hit the stuff that he's on, it is night and day oh, it how is much so better that good. band is with him. Yeah, with that's yeah. He like, he, he really is, does. Yeah, I I doubt Nevermind becomes as much of a hit with a different yeah. drummer. We'll we'll talk about sure. it on this record, but he has some no. incredible fills on this record. Like, a, he is just so good. He's one of the best drummers out there. Yeah, it's kind of a shame and he that like he spent immediately the last twenty five years playing guitar. Yeah, yeah, it's really odd that he did, but we'll see some hints about that actually. On and this he's episode. a fine guitar player, but he's an incredible drummer. Right. It's a good thing he started them Crooked Vultures to take back the drum kit. I forgot about that. Um. So, they stay together, though, even though Kirk hurts all their feelings, uh, and they start working on their next album. So, Kirk especially wants to correct their pop direction that they got set in for Nevermind, and wants to make a more holistic album on the next one. They had Bleach, which is very, very raw and very grunge. They had Nevermind, which is, at least to his eyes, just pop rock. And so he wants an album that encompasses kind of all the sides of Nirvana. Some harder rock, some more edgy stuff, and some poppy stuff all mixed in. So they decide to move on from Butch Vig as producer. Um, No surprise after Kirk lambasts his his production in like every interview he can get for two years. Um, And they decide to work with Steve Albini who Ah. at this point is a very, very famous record producer at the time was well-known, but was well-known as a like very alternative underground 
kind of counterculture guy almost. He was like extremely anti-corporate labels. He only ever worked with indie bands, really. Um, but he did produce two of Kirk's favorite albums from the 90s, uh, Surfer Rosa by the Pixies and Pod by the Breeders. And he also did a lot of recording with um, Mikey in the Room, especially for drums, which Kirk really wanted to try, but previous producers hadn't hadn't worked with. So he really wanted more of that live room sound. So they uh, apparently there was lots of speculation in like uh, music press about who their next producer was going to be. And Albini's name showed up a few times. Uh, He sent at a certain point, he sent a press release saying, I'm definitely not going to produce Nirvana's next album. And then like two days later, they reached out to ask him if he would produce their next album. (laughs) And he said, oh, uh, yeah, I guess. All right. Um, I I really don't know. He's a douchebag, basically. Like, I don't know why he took the job because, and these are some quotes. He dismissed them as REM with a fuzz box, which is not a dismissal. That sounds like a great band. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And this is a dismissal, an unremarkable version of the Seattle sound. Uh, he also perceived them as, again, quote, the same sort of people as all the small fry bands I deal with at the mercy of their record label. So, hmm. what yeah. an asshole. That guy yeah, he, like said a dick. He, he said he felt sorry for them. So I guess that's why he accepted? I don't know. Seems weird. He also, like, he refused to take um, any royalties for the album because he didn't want, like, the record label's money. Um which I guess he feels fine about that now because he's done well, but I can imagine a world where Steve Albini in 2001 really wishes he'd have taken that money. (laughs) Yeah, totally. (laughs) Um, But he refused to take any royalties on the album, and then he also convinced the band to pay for the album recording themselves instead of letting the record label pay for it, I guess is just like a moral stand. I don't know. I mean, obviously all of them have been fine money wise, but it would kind of suck if that was like a bad finger type band where then they're all broke a year later. So mm-hmm. yeah, seems a little weird. I don't, I don't know much about Steve Albini, but from this, from this stuff, he, he kind of seems like an ass hat. Yeah, totally. So yeah, I don't, I just yeah. know him as the Nirvana guy basically. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, he was like in hardcore punk bands as a younger gentleman. Yeah, I think, I think so. And, and any guy who's like, I'm not saying everybody in a hardcore punk band is an asshole, but the people who take it so seriously are all fucking assholes. So yeah. he was a member of a band called Rape Man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, but he accepts recording this. He feels so sorry for them. He just has to help them get on the right track. These young lost little boys. <laughs> God, what a fucking prick. Oh, dude. Um, so they meet up in Minnesota's Pachyderm Studio in February of 1993. This was a record studio that was just in an old house um, in, like, the woods in Minnesota. And since it's February, they basically get in and then just, like, don't leave for the entire time they're there because they're pretty much snowed in. Yeah, that's where Prince did um, a lot of stuff. No, oh, I'm, okay. lying. Nice. I'm lying. I That's not oh. true. I Wait, don't know. yeah, didn't Prince famously record everything in at his home? house? Yeah. Yeah. Or at the it was just in club. Minnesota, so yeah. that was his house, Pachyderm Studios. So the band, Steve Albini, and their engineer were the only people in the house. 
the whole time that they, I think that they recorded, but then more people showed up later. Um, yeah, because it's at some point it says that Albini ignored everyone who wasn't in the band, saying all the people surrounding Nirvana were, quote, the biggest pieces of shit I've ever met. <laughs> Which, you know, I guess maybe, like, their guys from DGC and Geffen showing up were probably obnoxious, but it's just very funny that he literally would not talk to anyone who wasn't Nirvana. Yeah. So, they mostly recorded all their bass tracks together as a band, doing that live, uh, you know, recording. And um, they did some individual drum recording in the kitchen with a lot of room mics to get some nice echo. Um and then apparently Steve Albini says he stayed pretty hands-off during the recording. He was saying, like, he kind of just let the band decide whether they liked to take. He said Kirk really had an ear, or I don't think he had an ear in terms of, like, being a, you know, fledgling producer, but, like, he just knew when he listened to stuff whether it was what he wanted or not. And so Steve kind of just let them let them lead the process as they went. Mm-hmm. So... They were completed recording everything in six days, which I guess is what you get when you lock yourself in a house in the middle of the snowy and you have, And you have to pay for it yourself. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and Kirk did all of his vocal takes in about six hours. It took hmm. basically that long to mix the record, about another five days. So I think that's when everyone else showed up because Courtney like showed up at some point and pissed off uh, Steve Albini, of course. Um, I don't yeah, think there's much that doesn't piss that guy off, it sounds like. And I don't think there's many that she doesn't piss off, so that's a really <laughs> tough one. Yeah. Yeah. A bad combo. Uh-huh. Um, so, they got done recording, they mixed the album, they submitted it to Geffen, but were told, well, unclear what they were told. It wasn't released, basically, is, is what I got. Um, so... It, it, there's some weird back and forth. We'll get into it here. So initially they, they said, this isn't done. Like we want, we want more work done on it. Kirk was really upset because he was purposefully not making a second nevermind, but he uh-huh. felt like that's the only thing that they would want to accept. Um, but then later, like there was some weird press stuff where like some music press was like, you know, sources say at Geffen records, they aren't releasing the album because it's not poppy enough. And then Geffen like came out with, a press release saying, no, we'll release whatever Nirvana wants to. They're in control of their sound. So a little unclear why the album was delayed exactly. I think it actually ends up being that Kirk isn't super happy with the mixes on some Mm -hmm. of the songs. And it might have crossed over because they end up being all the singles. So it might have crossed over with, with Geffen wanting the singles to be produced a little bit differently. Um because Steve's sound was a little more edgy and like kind of raw and you know more bleachy than Nevermind really. Yeah. Okay. So, hey, hey Jake, yeah, what the ahead. fuck are you doing right now? I'm sorry. I uh Now Jake's building a, a bobsled. Yeah. There's been a moth flying around. Uh, <laughs> oh, hell yeah. Okay. So I've been trying to catch him and then I I finally did and so I was standing up to to dispose of him. Uh, but, uh, and now you're holding an action figure. Yeah. Ah, well, I'm always holding some sort of action figure. This one's a this one's an Urukai. Nice. But uh, yeah. I don't even know what that is. From Lord of the Rings. I don't know what that is. Wow. There's okay. Saruman's spawn. Regroup. Um, yes. Okay. So they went through several remixes. They got a lot of different people to look on it. Eventually, 
they got Scott Litt, who we talked about as their potential producer for Nevermind. He had worked with R.E.M. a lot. Right. Um, they took him Heart Shaped Box and All Apologies and Penny Royalty, but that version doesn't show up on the album, I think. Uh, so, But all the potential singles. They took him those, mm-hmm. he remixed those, and the and Geffen decided to put the album out with Albini on most and then Scott Litt on the, on the singles. I think you can hear that those two songs sound kind of different. Yeah, and there's yeah. I don't know if we They're want to cleaner. do this on the show. Um it, I don't it's not a super huge difference, but you can go to the In Utero like 25th anniversary release and listen to the Albini versions of those singles and it's it's oh, kind of interesting, interesting, but interesting, yeah. They aren't they that. aren't that different, but they are different. So anyway, um so the title of the album In Utero uh, was from a poem by Courtney Love and the album cover is this like uh well it's like a anatomical thing with yeah angel wings and it's like i think it's a isn't it a pregnant woman i I don't know that she's pregnant Mm, it's no certainly like she's not i think i've just always assumed she was from the album cover but have never looked at the album Album cover carefully (laughs) or yeah from the album title so but kirk claimed that all the birth imagery and the woman's like none of that had to do with him getting married and having a baby all right and it's like yeah right kirk all right um so especially because the back cover as well was this collage that kirk made that included a bunch of like little plastic like models of fetuses and then some Mm. flowers and other plastic body parts and like i just you know there's no way that all that wasn't on his oh yeah i mean the the heart shaped box music video is just like there's literally a tree covered in fetuses like it's not very uh yeah it's not very subtle stuff yeah so the cover was another, just like Nevermind, it was Kirk calling up the the art designer guy from Geffen Records and saying, hey, I kind of have this weird, weird <laughs> idea, and the guy figuring out how to do it. So they found this transparent, like, anatomical mannequin. I kind of assume it was for, I don't know, classes or something. Um, but they found not. this and made the angel wings and took a photo of it and the oh. prop itself still exists it's in like a traveling nirvana uh i did not like realize that was thing. a photo i always thought that was a painting i think it's at the museum in the experience music project in oh, Seattle, which is called mopop now is it yeah yeah but i think i think it's there but that I would make sense easily be wrong i know it's somewhere but yeah i don't i don't quite remember so the back cover though being that collage with a bunch of baby fetuses um was the cause of some consternation and hmm. the title of the song rape me <laughs> um <laughs> that'll do it yeah so walmart and kmart decided not to carry the album uh what they said publicly was because it quote didn't fit their merchandise mix and they had low customer demand which is a hilarious thing to say about the most popular <laughs> band in the world and what did th- this sold 20 million copies i think like there's yeah. no yeah. this is not, i think yeah. i think this one yeah it was almost as much as it sold like five or six million in the states and like 20 million worldwide yeah mm-hmm. it's like almost as big as Nevermind. yeah like that's, um, it, this is one of the most anticipated albums in music history yeah but you know, DGC in all of it, yeah, yeah. But DGC sent them an edited copy, and they sold it immediately. So, <laughs> what's the edited copy? Is it just like so? A, yeah, you can Google it if you're interested, or our listeners. So, woman? what they did? So the the front cover is the exact same. Okay. Their problem was the fetuses in the song "Rape Me." So the fetuses get like the back cover is very like pink hued. So they basically just kind of like 
made it more pink, like oversaturated it so you couldn't tell the shape of anything. Okay. And then they replaced the title of the song Rape Me with Uh-oh. Waif Me. <laughs> Apparently right. Kirk That's what they could this turn is great. into it. And with this a is Sharpie. almost Yeah, this is almost <laughs> yeah. as good as him wanting the the penis sticker to be like you're a pedophile if you don't like this um <laughs> he apparently really wanted to change rape me for walmart to be sexual assault me <laughs> <laughs> that's a good bit but then he was told no because it has to be the same number or at least similar number of letters because otherwise it fucks up the whole mm-hmm. like the printing whole because it was yeah, yeah the printing thing in the back was like was a, a, a specific design yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So they had to make it a different thing, but it would have been so great to send send out sexual assault. Yeah. Um, so they did say, though, this band kind of staunchly against all of their corporate ties. They did defend this decision with saying that they thought it was more important to get the album into these stores because especially in 1992, there were a lot of towns and just areas in the world where that was the only place you were ever going to find music, Mm -hmm. a like big box store with a good CD section. And so they didn't want to like keep their music from being found by, you know, kids who wanted or, you know, would be interested in listening to it, but could only find CDs at Kmart. So, which makes some sense. I mean, if all their, yeah. if obviously if they're not editing the music, then like the kids are still going to listen to rape me. So <laughs> they'll be good. Yeah. They'll be uh, good little counterculture kids. I, I've just, uh, when I was looking at the album cover, I just found out in Saudi Arabia, they sell this on tape and CD, but, and it's the same woman on the front, but she's yeah. wearing a dress. Oh man. No, no, yeah. that's yeah. no way. It's a real thing. Oh my god! I got okay. I gotta Google this now. Let's look up Saudi Arabia. I mean, in what utero. was in Spain? I think uh, that is wild. The Sticky Fingers yeah. could not be released as is because it was too sexual. They released Sticky Fingers as just like a weird. They took a different photo of a can of treacle with like a hand dip. Yes, yeah, which is because worse a, than a dick just outline the guy's in jeans dick. was too yeah. sexual. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, and then in Russia. In the Soviet Union at the time, mm-hmm. they released a sexy version, which is weirder than the penis version. Right. But a sexy version of a woman in tight jeans. Lady. Oh, so yeah, that at least yeah, there wasn't dude. a dick. And can we, the belt can we buckle, stop the podcast? The can belt stop buckle the podcast was a hammer five minutes So I can Google that and go take yeah. care of some men's stuff and then we'll <laughs> come back. And... Yeah, sure. All right. Thank uh, you. So crazily, and this to me backs up the idea that, that DGC wasn't holding the album because it wasn't poppy enough. Because they did take the band's feelings into account. I, and I can't believe this. This doesn't feel like anything a major label would ever do. But they they kind of acquiesced to Nirvana not wanting this to be another huge pop album. And they did not promote it as a pop album. They didn't release singles to the like to try and hit the Hot 100. Hmm. They only sent out like advanced copies and singles to alternative stations and like college radio stations. They really kind of... I mean, honestly, Did Nirvana a solid trying to like make this more of a to it, like it, reach the crowd Nirvana wanted to reach. I mean, I think they're just trying to make lightning strike twice. You know, they're just doing what they did the first time. Let let them do their fucking thing. I don't and... think so, man. I think a record label like without any outside influence, they would after the sales of Nevermind. I think they would just immediately treat them like every pop band. But David Geffen is also one of the smartest businessmen in the world. So I bet he was like, no, just don't fuck with it. You know, it's possible. I mean, Nirvana Um, are their own 
marketing team at this point. Yeah, like just the, exactly. The idea of being Nirvana is enough to sell 20 million records. You don't really yeah. need that much more. Yeah. Right. I, I'm not disagreeing with any of that. I'm just saying uh-huh. from a like corporate entity standpoint that views every year is growth upon growth upon growth. How do you not look mm-hmm. at Nevermind and say, we could double that with their next album by like hyping mm-hmm. it up and being like, this is the successor to the album that changed, you know, so. Because then none of the anyway. indie kids would buy it. So, exactly. Indie so, kids aren't buying it anyway, they're pirating it. They kind of lowball. Not in 93. In utero. And, uh, and it, it comes out. And obviously, as we've talked about a little bit, it does very well. It premieres premieres debuts whatever at number one on the hot 100 the album uh none of the singles end up hitting the billboard top 40 um but let's go ahead and get to our rolling stone review all right so the rolling stone review we finally well for the first time since we were in the 60s we have a name we know i i think David Frick wrote the, oh, yeah, in, the utero, in Utero Rolling Stone Review. It came out September 16th, 1993. I think just... Let me look at this. Three days after the album came out. So it must have been the week wow. the album came out they released this Rolling Stone. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. So they got an advanced copy for the first time in Rolling Stone's history. Never in the history... It's pretty long, so I'll, I'll kind of pick and choose here. Never in the history of rock and roll overnight sensations has an artist, with the exception of John Lennon, been so emotionally overwhelmed by his sudden good fortune, despised it with such devilish vigor, and exercised his discontent on record with such bristling bullseye candor. Pretty great. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that's really good. In Utero is rife with jibes, some hilariously droll, others viciously direct, at life in the post-nevermind fast lane, at the money changers who milked the grunge tit dry in record time, and at the bandwagon sheep in the mosh pit who never caught on to the desperate irony of here we are now, entertain us. The first words out of Cobain's mouth in Serve the Servants are, teenage angst has served me well, now I'm bored and old in a snarl that immediately derails any lingering expectations for a son of Smells Like Teen Spirit. Uh, he compares very ape to a song from Bleach. Um, quotes a few more of their lyrics that he likes. He says, Cobain slightly overplays his hand with the title of radio-friendly unit shifter. Uh, Nirvana have been called many things over the past two years, but that is not one of them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, frankly, Nirvana as a band and Cobain as the point man have earned the right to spit in Fortune's eye. Gen X is really a generation hexed. Ooh, wow, David. Incredible. Turn of phrase. He was was feeling himself in the newsroom on this day. Yeah, caught in a spin cycle of updated 70s punk and heavy metal aesthetics and cursed by the velocity with which even the most abrasive pop underculture can be co-opted and compromised. One minute, they're jackbooting Michael Jackson out of his number one slot. The next, grunge rock jock Dan Cortese is screaming, I love this place, on behalf of Burger King. (laughs) Even the hippies got a summer or two to themselves in the (laughs) mid-60s. It's a good good line. It's a great line. Pretty great, and also just depressing, because you're like, oh, it's only gotten worse in terms of monetizing and corporatizing literally anything that can be. Yeah. Um, 
So, none of this unrepentingly self-obsessed rant and roll would be half as compelling or convincing if Nirvana weren't such master blasters. Uh, and Cobain wasn't a songwriter of such ferocious honesty and focused musical smarts. He essentially works according to one playbook, but it's a winner no matter how he runs it. Let's see. Hmm. Steve Albini's production, an Au Natural power trio snort that is almost monophonic in its compressed intensity, is particularly effective during dramatic cave-ins. The word grunge doesn't do this kind of ravishing clatter justice. From Bleach on, they have specialized in a kind of luminous roar and scarred beauty that has more to do with Patti Smith, the Buzzcocks, and Plastic Ono era John Lennon. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, oh, that's kind of it. He just keeps comparing them to other bands. Oh, there's a great line, the, greatest, the best line in it, and one of the better Rolling Stone review lines of all time is... Heart-shaped box, the kind of song Stone Temple pilots couldn't write, even with detailed instructions. <laughs> <laughs> damn, damn, that is that's really good. I always forget so, that Stone Temple pilots was this early. Contemporaries of this, yeah, yeah, it is wild. I mean, just all the Nirvana contemporaries are uh, not good, in my opinion, for the most part. Um, like they they were head and shoulders ahead of most of those other bands. I'm not a Pearl Jam guy. I like uh, Pearl which Jam. Is a controversial take, I know, but um, yeah. I I hate I, them, but I don't I've, think it's that I controversial. I don't listen to them very much. So. Yeah, I quite like that review because it it captures what I really love about this album was, which is I think this is like one of the greatest zags in musical history. Like, like everybody thought he was gonna zig, and he zagged so hard in the other direction. Like it is. There is so much music that I love that I don't think we get without somebody this famous making something this inherently non, uh, you know, caustic and difficult to listen to and um, non-commercial. Like, you don't yeah. have, you certainly don't have Pinkerton by Weezer without this. You don't have Kid A by Radiohead without this. You don't have yeah. Yeezus by Kanye West without this. That's probably the best, like, modern example. You don't have, uh, you certainly don't have reputation by Taylor Swift without this. Like, so many artists have used this as the blueprint of, like, we made the masterpiece that sold all the copies. We're trading in all our chips and making something weird and difficult, and we're going to see who yeah. sticks around at the end of it. And that's just really exciting. I think that's some of the most exciting art that can be made is people challenging themselves to make something that is very strange and very much not what people were expecting or maybe wanting and i think it's really yeah. bold and it doesn't always pull it, uh, it doesn't always pan out and um you know we can argue about whether this pans out but it's <laughs> yeah we'll just, get there <laughs> it's 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 so uh, obviously we have to talk about nirvana with such a caveat because their lifespan was so short but if they had they could have gone on to make 10 more records and i still think this one is so much more interesting than if they had made Nevermind Part 2. And they easily could have yeah. made Nevermind Part 2 and sold 40 million copies of it. And toured. I mean, Kurt, at right before he died, he turned down and offered to play Lollapalooza for like $9 million, I think. Like, they were, they could have yeah. made infinite money for the rest of their lives. And they decided to do this. And it's just, I find it very exciting. I, I, I still think it's a really exciting album to listen to because of that. Mm -hmm. anyway yeah. i'll get off my soapbox no no you're totally right i was gonna say 
you're summing up in in different words the way that David Frick ends his review, which is in utero is the last thing most people would expect, and mm-hmm. it's an inspired sign-off that shows how Nirvana had been reborn in the face of success. It's a lot totally. of things, brilliant, corrosive, enraged, and thoughtful, but more than anything, it's a triumph of the will. Yeah, so, I like that. That's well yeah. put. It's a pretty good review. He's, that guy who's been a music journalist for 40 years, turns out he's pretty good. He knows what he's doing. <laughs> yeah. He yeah. knows a thing or two. Well, yeah. let's take a quick break and come back for our track-by-track. Track. Okay. Welcome back, I guess. I didn't realize that was music from this album. I thought PJ was tuning. I thought he was tuning his guitar or something in the background. I thought he maybe thought that was the first song on the album and we were going to really yeah. screw up the track. Like yeah. PJ is actually, we just found out that PJ has been listening to this on shuffle for two weeks. Is it not have just I, this song? Yeah. Have I ever Turns told out. you guys, I probably have, but back in the days of iTunes and ripping CDs to give to other people instead of like buying a CD, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Before streaming, basically, when if you wanted an album without paying for it, you had to get it from the library or you had to have a friend rip it for you. Yeah, which is how you and I became friends mostly. Exactly. Was, I was like, that yeah. guy's got a cool music. I, I should think try to it get was, all his free music. It was probably from you because it was a My Chemical Romance album. Probably, that I got yeah. from you. I forget which one. I guess I can look it up real quick. Cause I it's... mean, it was pr- if it's one you didn't have, it was probably I brought you my bullets because that's like the only one that I can think I that know. you wouldn't have. No, because I only have one of their early ones. I-, I only really am into, I love them, but I'm really only super into Black Parade and Danger Days. So. Oh my God, you gotta, I mean, they're, mm. they're, um, it's three cheers, three cheers for sweet revenge, sweet revenge so which good. i i like okay but it's Ugh. it's got like it's cool. jesus it's only like christ hurry up good. with the story i don't want to talk about my chemical anyway, romance anymore peter and i are going to see them this fall so you'll have to hear about it a yeah. lot then oh That's i true. won't listen the show will be uh, over by then <laughs> this series <laughs> i'll save it though i'll bring it back for the next one um so but that album i had in the wrong order in my itunes because it either was ripped incorrectly or when i imported it i accidentally did something uh-huh. wrong but it was all shuffled up, and I did not know for like ten years, probably, until I like l- saw it some other place and was like, "Oh, I had been listening to this in the wrong order for forever," and then reordered it. And it took me a while to like the album again because it was so weird hearing it in a different order. So I had that's albums a fun thing. that I had ripped in the past that had like, um, like not not like bad skips but just like like mm. weird kind of hiccups in it yeah. that i didn't know wasn't part of the 
album for yeah. until I started streaming it. That would happen like, on library CDs all the time. Like there yeah. is a part oh, in yeah. in the uh, version that was in my iTunes of uh, Rebellion Lies by Arcade Fire, mm. where like there was this little hiccup, and I always thought it was so cool. I was like, it's so cool <laughs> they kept that little imperfection on there. Like they're like so anthemic and they're so into it that they just didn't even notice. And then I listened to it streaming, and I was like, oh no, the shitty copy from the public library just had a skip in it. <laughs> That's awesome. That is yeah. great. I, when I was in high school, uh, before my iTunes was, uh, I took pride in my iTunes, which I do now. Um, everything, every album that I ever ripped was just in alphabetical order. Oh, God. And so, like, I knew the Beatles ones well enough to reorder them, but, like, none of the other ones I cared to look up. And so right. it was, like probably late high school early college that i was like i should really fucking order these because i started to get into vinyl and i was like that's a better way to mm-hmm. listen to it you know so mm-hmm. yeah well in utero is released <laughs> to record stores and libraries around the world we're gonna shoot for five hours on um, this one yeah <laughs> released in september 1993 it went to number one the number one spot in the u.s and the uk Ooh. uh Heart Shape Box went to number one on the alternative charts and number four on the mainstream rock charts. And All Apologies, the second single, went to the exact same spots on each chart, weirdly. Hmm. So, let's get into the opener, Serve the Servants. My first thought on this one was, this is like less of a grunge song and more of like an indie rock kind of situation you know it's got a little more of that like yeah alternative 90s sound like more aside from the vocal take more like matthew sweet almost or like yeah a little more Hmm. indie melodic opening Um, i mean like like i said this was maybe the most anticipated album in rock history like i don't know if that's a crazy thing to say and opening it with the line teenage angst has paid off well now i'm bored and old is such a flex yeah like it's just it is very on the nose but it is such a flex you just be like yeah fuck all of you by the way i am sick of this shit but i have to do another album because i got a kid to feed now yeah (laughs) um yeah, this is a really nice opener. I like it's kind of got the like edge of their bleach stuff, and even the guitar solo is a little more like bleach. Like it's kind of older hard rock yeah. style guitar it's a really solo. Good solo. Um, but the best thing about this song to me is the rhythm of it is so interesting. It's like very laid back, and the drums in it remind me <laughs> of of Charlie Watts drums where like the stones thing where he like lopes in behind the guitar and kind of like almost drags the song backwards the whole time while the guitar is leading the pace. And I love that looking at you, Joe mid tempo, uh, kind of rhythm on this, (laughs) on this song. Um, yeah, this is just, and it is even when he was trying to fuck with the formula as much as he could, he still just couldn't help but write perfect little pop songs. Like, it's so... And it's so catchy, yeah. It's so catchy. Yeah. Like, he's doing everything he can to, like, pour acid all over it, and it's still like, no, nah, this is this is still pretty catchy. I could, I would love to sing along with this. Yeah. This, this song really sets a tone for the rest of the album, too, which mm-hmm. I, I... You know, I think putting it first because of that first lyric is ballsy. And then Very also... Ballsy. I think it was a good choice just because it does, like, it sets the tone, and I, I think it's really great. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's an all time like table setter of uh, for an album of just like here's here's what we're we're gonna get. Yeah. Let's get to Scentless Apprentice. Uh, this is the only song in the album credited to the full band. Yeah, um, Grohl wrote the guitar line in this song, I believe. Yeah, he did, and apparently Kirk <laughs> Kirk didn't want to use it because he thought it was too cliche. Uh, but, yeah, but it wrote... Kicks, yeah, though. but he wrote the song just to humor Dave. And uh, and then ended up really liking it. So this song is a really good example. The drum opening is a really great drum riff, but a really good example of why I do not like Steve Albini's production at all. I think it's, his. It sounds it like is, a Bleach song with better drums. Yeah, it's very yeah. flat, and it like I, I get the live thing, but they didn't capture any of the fullness of the live sound. Like, they got the live sound in terms of it sounding like you're in a room with these guys playing in front of you, but they did not get... It's like... Uh, not what you like, want out of that kind of production. Yeah, kind of like what yeah. David Frick said, where it almost sounds like monophonic. It sounds a little... It's flat. It's not like a three-dimensional kind of sound here. And, you know, if that's what they wanted, that's what they wanted. But I... I would appreciate at least a, a little bit of the Nevermind-ness, because I get the Nevermind was way too slick, but goddamn, the drums sounded just perfect on that album. Yeah. So it's hard to go to this, where it kind of just sounds like a guy drumming in a basement. Yeah, I don't disagree with that, but I do think that's the point. But, yeah. Uh, like, I, I don't think it's... It's not that they that it accidentally sounded like that. They wanted to sound like that, but... Oh, for sure. It is. For sure. But it's also yeah. bad, so... <laughs> that's... It's not unfair. I, well, I just, love this song, and I think it's one of his best vocal performances. Like he is just absolutely going for it on the second. Part I of this really song. don't like his vocal performance on. I this. agree. Yeah, I right. hate all the fair screaming. Enough. It just sounds like it's the kind of screaming where I'm just like, oh, his throat must hurt so bad. Well, I can't believe you said earlier that he recorded all of the song, like recorded all the lyrics and, or the singing vocals. in one day. Yeah. Yeah, six, hours. Uh, six hours. That's it's because he couldn't funny. sing it again. He was just done. Yeah, probably. He They're like, "Do you want to do a second yeah. take?" And the next day, he's like, "We can't. We cannot." Mm-hmm. Somebody get me a Ricola. <laughs> All right. Somebody get me a Ricola and a liter of heroin. Heart shaped box. Heart shaped box. Everyone. Well, not everyone. My favorite guitar. Hero guitar song. Hero song. Yeah, absolutely. Because I had one Guitar Hero Two. I think is the one it was on. Yeah. Yeah, because I think Guitar Hero 1, they didn't use any real versions of the songs because they couldn't license them. And then with 2, they got some real versions. So, And I think they used the real version of it. Yeah, yeah. I I loved this song when I was younger and when I was really only into you know their hits or whatever. This was probably my favorite song of theirs before we started this podcast, I would say. But now, I don't think I even like it as much as any of the Nevermind singles. Like... It's it's fine. I like the chorus a good amount, but I don't like the rest of it very much. This is this is one that hooked me really early, like even before I got super into um, into the Reading album. Yeah. Like this, and this has a very uh, distinctive music video where it's like there's a lot of fetuses. There's a little girl dressed up in a clan outfit. There's an old man being crucified. There's a fat woman dressed as the the in utero album cover. Like it is very 
very uh, distinctive. And if you're like 15 or 14 and you want to see something that's like screwed up, it fits you. It fits pretty good. Um, and it, it, this, I kind of feel about this song like I feel about um, Smell Like Teen Spirit. Where I'm like, I, it's very good. It's undeniably very good. I, I, I'm not really going to listen to it. I'm not going to put it on. I would much rather listen to Serve the Servants or most of the other stuff on this record. But yeah. it is an undeniably just very, very good song. I, yeah. I, I'm kind of with Pete on this one where it's like, well, I, with both of you, where you like liked it when you were younger. And I, yeah, I loved this song when I was younger. However, I really only like the chorus, like Pete said. Like, I think the verses are really boring and there's not much to it, but the chorus is so good. Yeah. It's it's like getting shot out of a cannon. Yeah. It's just yeah. such a good chorus. Get to rape me. <laughs> uh, it's the Smells Like Teen Spirit riff backwards, if people Hilarious. put yeah. that together themselves. It is, it is pretty fun. The greatest all-time example of him uh, ripping on the, on the Smells Like Teen Spirit riff is when, on Live at Reading, and I know I'm a broken record with that, but they play Smells Like Teen Spirit and they play the riff and everybody goes crazy, and then they just sing More Than a Feeling by Boston because it's the same riff, and then stop, and there's like a second where you think, are they just not going to play Smells Like Teen Spirit? And then they do, but it's... Yeah, yeah um, they, Sean was talking about that last, last episode, that same thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he really loved sabotaging that one. Yeah, I, I, it's a good song, you know. It's like, a good song. It's so Generation X. Like yeah. it is so like postmodern. We can say whatever we want, man. Like it reminds yeah. me of some early Tarantino, where it's like, I can say transgressive stuff. Like yeah. come on, like come on, man. It's language. We can all use whatever language we want. Yeah. And it's it's fine. I appreciate that he thought that like songs like Polly weren't clear enough, but Polly is just a better song, kind of with the similar message to this. Um, it, it's it's a good song, but it's yeah, it's another one that I'm not really, I don't revisit a lot. I I wish it, I wish the lyrical content was not what it is, but because I really like this song yeah. musically. But. It's hard as in the right spot, but it yeah. is, you know, it's it's trying very, it's so on the nose. Yeah. And it's trying very, very hard. And it is like, of it's an example of like what a 25-year-old thinks is really deep. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a but, good point, Jake. That's a good yeah. way to sum it up. Ah, way to come in there, Pete. Let's get to, yeah, I didn't hear anything that Jake said. Uh, I'm like the interviewer who doesn't listen through the whole answer and then just goes, mm-hmm, yeah, good point. And then yeah. next question, <laughs> no matter what was said. Uh, Harry Shearer, a la Wayne's World 2. All right, let's get to... another good chorus. I mean, he yeah. just... He a great chorus. He choruses yeah. out, man. Um, and then here's this song with a really long title. Francis Farmer will have Revenge on Seattle. One of the best Nirvana songs, I think. I love this song. I just, this song, like, so much Nirvana is overplayed. And um, this song, still, I love every single time. And that's how, that's true of a lot of this album. Maybe just because it's not Nevermind. But, like, I will listen to Serve the Servants and Scentless Apprentice and Francis Farmer in some of those songs further on here and get as excited on the thousandth listen as I did on the first. Like, this is just... 
I really love this song, and uh, Dave is really good on this song. He plays some great fills. Yeah, the drums are really good. And yeah, that's the drums. Yeah, all I have good. To, I don't like this song very much. Okay. Interesting. I think this is pretty much a perfect song, except his vocal take is just a little too rough for me. It feels it's like he's trying rough. to do a little too much grunge voice. And like, if it was more the nevermindy kind of cleaner, I don't know, nice singing Kirk, basically, <laughs> then I would out and out love this song. But I've just my thing is I've I've heard this from them before. I don't need any more of this. No. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I suppose. I just, um, I just think this is so. This is such a great melody here on this. Song. Yeah, it's so good. He just he could pump those melodies out, man. He was like a he was. He's not Paul McCartney, obviously, but he has like a touch of that to him, where he just can. He has this effortless ability to just create these beautiful melodies, and then the difference between him and somebody like McCartney is McCartney will choose the right things to, you know, amplify it and make yeah. it better. And Kurtz is just like, what if I, what if I just pissed all over it? What would that sound like? Yeah, and it's kind of fun. Um, I also just, I love, I have spoken on this podcast before about how much I love the chorus of I Just Wasn't Made for These Times on Pet Sounds, which is just sometimes I feel very sad. And the yeah. chorus of this song is just, I I feel the comfort or I miss the comfort in being sad, which is great. Great chorus. Yeah. And a very interesting thing, I think, from a super rich, famous guy, which, as we said, rich, famous guys often do not have very interesting things to say. <laughs> But the, the vocal thing that you were saying, mm-hmm. that's why I think of anyone in the 27 Club, Kurt Cobain is the one that makes me the, the saddest for the music he could have made. Like, I really think he could have made, like, some traditional country stuff. Like, he could have just made some really interesting... I mean, he was obsessed with Lead Belly. Like, he could have made some, some folk singer-songwriter stuff like that. Like, yeah. some of the music that he would have made, he would be really unbearable on Twitter. <laughs> like he'd be one of the worst tweeters of all time. But if we could have gotten, like, the music, he'd be, like, 52 or something now, and I would just be fascinated to hear what type of music 52-year-old Kurt Cobain would want to make. He'd probably be really upset about cancel culture, I would think. <laughs> he might be. He he could easily have turned into, like, a one of those guys. Yeah. You know, because, like, a lot of Gen X got burned out and turned into those guys. Especially Gen X that found wealth. So yeah. <laughs> it wouldn't shock me. All right. Let's get to Dumb. Uh, so this is one of two songs with Kira Shaley, is maybe how you pronounce her name. Is that the cello uh, player? Playing cello. Yeah. Yeah. The cello um, on this is so good. Uh, I like- see, I think this is an incredible song, but the cello is... Do you not like the cello? Because So I think this-, this is one of those things where Nirvana was the first to do it, and now every fucking band does some string tracks on like a rock yeah. song. Yeah. And so now it sounds cliched and boring and um, <laughs> dumb. Uh, so I don't think it's dumb. their fault. I think they were ahead of their time here, like one of the you know early ones to do it. But to my ears now, it, it sounds just kind of generic with the cello. It's one of my favorite songs on the album. Yeah? It's very good. It's really, I mean, I'm going to say this about every song on this album because I love this album, but it's it's just really good. It's a good song. Yeah, no complaints. I really like 
Dave's drumming is again really nice. It's much more simple, but he does a perfect job with the open kind of sound and the uh, ride cymbal. So. He's a hell of a drummer. See, I really like the melody on this song. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's yeah, it is. Yeah, like it's it, it's it's almost earworm territory here, which is so strange for a guy who loves screaming and yeah. breaking his guitar. Yeah. Let's get. I like to his vocal take too. Very yeah, I agree. Eight. He's he's more straightforward here. Yeah. Very ape. At least this one's short. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's barely even a song. Yeah, it really is kind of just, it's kind of a fun palate cleanser. Like, the riff yeah. is just kind of fun, the melody's pretty solid, but it's like just this short, fast song to kind of get you into the yeah. back half of the album. Yeah, and this is probably, do you know where they where do they split this on LP? Probably uh, they after didn't. Francis Farmer? Doesn't, or, oh. doesn't matter. Didn't come out on. It was a CD release, so any yeah. LP version is not band official. Yeah. Uh, actually, no, that's not true. Let me look this up real quick. I feel like I did read 90, something 92, about it. 92 were post. We, we are post LP. Yeah. So they did an American vinyl pressing, a limited edition, when it was released. So there actually was an original era. vinyl, yeah, in September 1992. But they do not say. We'd have to do more Google. I would guess it would be, yeah, Very Ape would start the second side because it's 12 Probably. songs and it's it's pretty even in terms of lengths, it looks like. so. They could have cut this one. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> but they could have cut more worse songs than this, I think, as we get into the second <laughs> half here. A good uh, point. Speaking of which, let's I go was, to Milk It. I, I, I was um, interested to see and a uh, sealed copy of sure. the... Um, the 1993 limited edition vinyl goes for looks like about $2,500 on eBay. Yeah, that sounds right. Hey, send me that link. I'll, I think I'll get that. <laughs> I got right. $2,500 sitting around. Milk it. What is this, Primus? <laughs> yeah. This is a really, really good example of a song that could have been cut from this album. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Two in a row. I don't, I don't feel much reason for this to be on here. All right. I mean, the reason I Kenny guess Royalty. is that they didn't want a super poppy song on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's hit. he's trying too hard there. Love this that. song is gorgeous. I uh, think it's one of the best things he ever wrote. Yeah. Yeah, I think the verses are a little boring for me. The chorus Fine. is great. I do the wish they need to They needed to do a double verse at the beginning. They get into the chorus way too fast, and for how boring the verses are, like it just makes the song feel a lot longer than it is. I think it's the best chorus. To me. It might be the best chorus he ever wrote. Like it is just an incredible oh. chorus, and it's also it's this. This was supposed to be the last single, and then he killed himself. True. Yes. Whoa! So, spoilers. He died, and uh, if you believe that he killed himself, there is a. Uh, yeah, this that's like, the spoiler. Yeah, we don't know This whole yet. record is the basically the, the Pitchfork review that they did when this was released was very interesting. I thought, which they were like, "There's two versions of this album. There's the one that came out, and then there's the one that's just the world's longest, most famous suicide note." Um, the, you know, they changed after he killed himself. And this song, so I mean, Leonard Cohen, Afterworld, and so I can sigh eternally. Like there is so much on this of this song that sounds. Like a guy who was 
thinking about the end, which is really dark for a guy who's you know 26 years old and should have been in the prime of his life. And uh, the, the version on this, I know you guys are going to talk unplugged next week. The unplugged version of this is unbelievable. But, I uh, I had yeah. never heard this song before this week. Huh? Wow. Yeah. It's, it's good. one of my faves. All that yeah. being said, Jake, I this is I think this one could have used a second pass. <laughs> give a you know give an edit to your suicide. Just run it through one more time. Make sure it's really as tight as it can be. Yeah. Let's get to radio friendly unit shifter. Some real. Some yeah. Never mind. This is why I hate the '90s. Don't start a song like this. Fuck yeah, that. this is this is just aggressively Gen X. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's yeah. it is though. It, it basically is just milk it again, but it is a lot better than milk it. So they should have cut milk it. I think. Like this song sure. is actually enjoyable to listen to for me, whereas milk it is just pure noise. What is wrong with me? What is what I need? What what do I think I think? There's some there's some good some good like just uh, kind of dumb lyrics in there that I I like quite a bit, but yeah this is also I think the longest song on the album this is almost five minutes which yeah. is crazy like give me give me a little more serve the servants if you're gonna go if we're gonna go to five minutes on one of these songs yeah this one I do I kind of do like the verses of him just like ranting and raving mostly because he has like a weird drawl going on and like I don't know <laughs> yeah I mean it's not quite it's that horror song that the Stones did but yeah not quite um yeah it'd be a lot better if it wasn't five full minutes long <laughs> so. I hate whatever effect they're using on the bass Chris yeah. Novoselic is a remarkably Un, like mediocre bassist, for being the third person in a trio who recorded as a trio on all three of their albums, it's like he's not even there. Most yeah. If they had, if someone told me actually, Chris only ever played live on record, Kirk just went in and played bass lines like he just like picked up his bass and figured them out himself, and they just used that. I would believe it because yeah. they I. We've talked we talked about it a little bit on Bleach. I think we kind of skipped it on Nevermind. But he just like almost doesn't even exist as a bass player. I never notice what the bass is doing at all. Yeah. It's obnoxious, especially after especially after so much of that 70s kind of pop rock where the bass is so melodic exceptional, yeah. And so great even sure, on like Big sure. Star. And so here it's just like why even be in he's the He's just band? he's just there, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's right. get to Tourette's. The shortest song on the album, and fine, because it's fine. I like this song. I didn't care about it at all. I have no opinion. No, it's bad. No, that's my opinion. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I appreciate I... that they're, like, doing, you know, all the genres they can do and all that. Like, it's... It's nice to see them spread out a little bit and do some more weird stuff, but 
I don't particularly like this. I, again, prefer the live and writing version of this song where you can kind of understand what he's saying, and it's you know more what? interesting. Right now, it's I think it, it's almost 11 p.m. Jake's time, but you know what? We're going to go track by track through live and writing after this. We just have it, to. It's like 40 tracks. Yeah, we have to. We have all to. Right. All right. Why not? I can't think of any reason why not. PJ doesn't have to drive all day tomorrow or anything like that. Nah. Yeah. All right. Let's get to All Apologies. Uh, so this is the second song with some cello, and unlike Dumb, it does not ruin this song for me. And also, that, that opening guitar line, beautiful. Yeah, it's one of my favorite like things yeah, that I've is... guitar at a young age. This is the one where I'm very glad that they got a remix in, because All Apologies might be my favorite Nirvana song, and this version is fantastic. Like, it's beautifully it's good. mixed yeah. and recorded, so... Um, I think earlier I said Dumb was one of my favorite songs on the album. This is my favorite song on the album. Yeah. This song it's just is a good just song. perfect. And it's I've perfect. Yeah. I, the unplugged version is also very good. It is one of the few songs from Unplugged I've heard. Yeah, this song really does it has the, one of the most complex, at least just like songwriting structures that Kirk has used so far, where it's actually got like a verse, a pre-chorus, and a post-chorus happening. Uh-huh. Uh, which again, speaking of like Badfinger and Big Star, and those 70s yeah. power pop bands that really love to throw as many elements as they could. It's nice. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Um, it's just beautiful. And I, I mean... I wish this wasn't his last record, but ending your last record with the line "All in all is all we are" is it's it's, it's beautiful. It's it's uh, it's it's up there with in the end, the love you make is equal to the love or yeah, whatever the Beatles yeah, yeah. love you like take. It yeah. Is, um, yeah, like it's 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 beautiful. Yeah. It's just a really beautiful composition, and it's great that he was able to write the. The rock songs and do that. Dave Grohl's drumming during this is so great. Yeah. Buried Married is so good. Yeah. yeah Grohl is going nuts here. It's so good. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that that melodic line is one of the best things he's it's ever It's very did. good. It's, yeah. yeah. And I like the kind of droney guitar. Yeah. Like in the, yeah. yeah. It's well, well mixed. Well, well um, PJ, what are your thoughts on In Utero? It's no, never mind. No, it's not. But I think it sounds like they did that on purpose, I guess. Yeah, from what <laughs> I understand. You know, it's it's a fine album. Um, Here's my thing about Nirvana. I know we've got one more thing to go, one more episode on Nirvana. Uh, talking Unplugged next week, but their first album was garbage. Their second album was quite good, really, really good. And then their third album, in my opinion, is just okay. So, like, I, I, I kind of don't get the hype around around them as a band. Like, there are plenty of bands that have one really great album, and the rest are bad or you know mediocre and they don't they're not as big as nirvana you know um so i just kind of i don't know i would be disappointed if this came out in 92 
following Nevermind. Um, yeah. Having this, which I get that's what they were doing, but it is still disappointing 30 years later. <laughs> yeah, I I guess I kind of feel, Jake, we'll let you go last because you're going to have the, the nicest things to say. Yeah. Yes. I, I feel somewhat similarly where like, and especially now that I'm like just an old man, um, <laughs> it, I'm okay with, with facing up to this fact, but like, I am kind of just the lame guy who got really into Nirvana, who like jumped on the bandwagon. And then this came out and I was like, eh, it's, it's too out there for me. They should have been <laughs> yeah. popular. Like, Absolutely. because I do really like a lot of this album but it's too weird for me. Like at the end of the day, it's just a little, the, the ways in which it's weird. I appreciate a weird album. I appreciate noise. Uh, if anyone wants to fight me on that, go check out monastic living by parquet courts, which is a fantastic EP by a band that it's just pure noise the entire time. And it's great. So like, I can appreciate that kind of artsiness, but this album specifically just like, it did not quite, catch me the first half is is really perfect like up through dumb is is pretty fantastic and then like milk it Tourette's radio friendly like they just have it's just it's not that great on the back back half for me so yeah i i do like it very very much but i mean maybe obviously it's never going to be a never mind just because that is like the point pretty much 12 perfect songs um at least to me. And so I guess I will say that I appreciate what they did. And since it's what they wanted to do, then like, I'm happy that they did it, but I would have, I would have liked more of a middle ground. Cause I think the yeah. songs are there for this to be like both There's more artistic, more work. edgy and yeah. some poppy stuff. Like I think songwriting wise, they achieved what they wanted to just in the production and like final, release i think they for me they leaned a little too hard into the anti you know pop stuff so yeah jake what do you what do you feel jake okay so uh nothing that either of you said is wrong um <laughs> yeah it's opinions That's I, the point. I i i i just really really love this record yeah and i love one of the things that i love in music is i love the music itself obviously but i love the stories around songs I love the the stories behind why things are written and what effect they have. And this is, I think, just one of the great stories in rock and roll history is a guy coming from nowhere, writing this thing that makes him a generational icon and just saying, actually, I don't want to do that and going in the complete opposite direction. And I love it. I think it's beautiful and bold. And I so wish he could have been able to follow it up 20 more times. But I think... This record is certainly not perfect. It is very intentionally not perfect. Uh, the, the second side of it sags a lot. But the good songs on here are so good. And the um, the impact that this record has had. You know, I named a, a lot of my favorite records I don't think happen without this. I don't think people in yeah. giant successful bands make music like this if Kurt Cobain didn't make music like this. And... It, it's just it's a record that means a lot to me and i like to put it on and i like to put it on more than nevermind honestly and nevermind is perfect like you said but i kind of like the cracks i like hearing it break a little bit yeah and um yeah i don't have a whole lot more to say other than just that i 
I really like this record, and I really wish he could have been able to follow it up. Yeah. Yeah. Do For we, sure. Do we want to rate it? Oh, look nah, at you we're going to skip it this time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely, jumping, Jake. What do, we rate? what do you want to rate? What do you want to rate it? For what I said, I, I just I think this is a 10, but it's not perfect. And that's a it's a hard line to draw. And I think there are 10s that are perfect albums. And then I think there are 10s yeah. that are just like seismic uh, mm-hmm. pop culture moments that aren't perfect. And I think that's okay. And I don't think that detracts from it being a 10. Hmm. All right, a ten for Jake. And I know that's a that's a bold take. Our first ten for Nirvana. I can't believe neither of you gave a ten to. Never mind. But. Uh, what was the one I didn't like? Polly, and then oh, Polly's so good. What was the other song? There was another song I didn't think was that great, so it got an. Mm-hmm. I gave it a nine. It's kind of similar to my Sticky Fingers review, which was the same thing, where I was like, "This right. is not a perfect record, but the highs are so high and the lows are so bold and weird that I respect them enough to to I don't think I could give it less than a ten. Sure, mm. PJ, how you feeling? Rating? Oh wow, I'm going opposite end. Um, it's not a, a one, a obviously, one. but uh, Ooh, oh. Oh. No, 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 no. One's no, no, no. in the conversation. No, 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 no. Wow. I, I was trying to cover my ass by saying it was the opposite end. I was just saying, not a one. Don't okay. worry. Like, it's not the complete yeah, opposite Yeah, but end. a two. Sure. Why yeah, not? yeah, right. Um, <laughs> I only really liked four, four and a half songs. Um, yeah. And, like, I, I, I understand the, the argument for it's a piece of pop culture that, you know, people know, and it's, it's everything surrounding the album. But as somebody who is doesn't care about any of that, as <laughs> sure. somebody who's just listening to the album um, and rating it for the music on it and what I think about it, it's got to be like a five. Yeah. Four, you know, somewhere in there. Five, probably. Yeah, you should choose one because we write them down. Yeah, we'll go five. Sorry. Yeah, I... Ah, oh, man, this album's weird. I really, really like it. I also just, like, never feel like i fully connected on it in a way that i definitely did with nevermind it it, like it almost felt similar to listening to bleach to me Mm -hmm. just because it's like i recognize there's a bunch of scattered points of really cool stuff happening yeah but like i didn't quite ever just enjoy listening to this album i don't think i agree yeah and so and in that way it's like even though a lot of the songs are great and there's songs that i haven't heard before that i do really like i don't know that as an album in terms of just the music, cause I do really appreciate your points, Jake, about the left turn and the fact that I hadn't really considered that being a stamp that then a million artists have now done. And I've loved, Definitely. and I've loved tons of other artists. Like most of my favorite albums by a lot of other artists are those albums when they get weird and it's half great and half kind of bad, but the great stuff is so weird and great that you have to love it. So, so I, it makes me feel a little bit bad not liking this one as much. Cause I'm like, I usually <laughs> love those. Like I love life of Pablo. That's a great album, even though half of it is almost just terrible. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, like I would give that almost a 10. I wouldn't, but you know, it would be way up there for me. So, uh, I think a seven is, uh, that's my absolute ceiling. Cause I feel mm. really bu- guilty about going lower than that. <laughs> but you really <laughs> so, want to give it a six. Is that what you're saying? Uh, mm. It's waffling. So I'll be nicer to it. The man died after all. 
Well, he did die. He was he killed. Was, by he was Gordon murdered. Mafia. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. He was murdered by the Manson followers who I'm broke really... into his house in the Seattle Hills. <laughs> yeah. My squeaky Fromm broke back out of prison. And, and thank God yeah. Brad Pitt was there to defeat them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, she, first she killed uh, Brian Jones. Yep. Uh, and then Pushed she him joined into a the pool, Manson hopped thing. a plane. Yeah. Crossed the pond. And did, did all that. Did Brian Jones die before the Manson murders? Yeah, yeah. Manson murders were 69. Brian Wilson died. Yeah. Huh? Wait, not Brian, Brian Jones. Wilson. Brian Jones, yeah, sorry. <laughs> when did Brian Jones die? 1967. This is so off topic. Okay. Yeah. The same year Kurt Cobain was born. We talked about this when we started talking about Nirvana. His parents had sex the night he died. And now it's 27 years. Wait, did he die in 93? No, 94. Okay, never mind. My birth year. Mine too. Not mine. Kurt Cobain, I never knew ye. Um, (laughs) We were like passing ships Um, in the night. (laughs) I also just, it's hard for me to talk objectively about this because Nirvana was just. Yeah so important to me it's such a formative part of my life and like honestly yeah. that's I why you're on because pj and i are shrugging it in utero yeah Which is, that is fascinating to me that pj especially you yeah. like for all that i mean the three PJ of us is a little stick in the mud similar class from bad finger to nirvana and it's just wild that we missed on that because we yeah. have um we have we agree on most things and i'm just surprised that you missed out on listening to nirvana when you were yeah. you know 15 just didn't care about him like huh. yeah i got i think i was texting you guys about this the other day that the bands that i got into when i was 15 are now bands i don't like like i really liked mm. cream and eric clapton when i was 15 <laughs> and like now i it's not good music you know so i mean it's it's halves and halves you know like yeah. i listened to a lot of crap when i was 15 but i th- there was a lot of stuff that i was getting into then that that um you know set up what i really like to right. listen to now i guess i got into like bowie when i was about 15 as well and that yeah. you know that's a good choice yeah i was super into like dylan and nirvana and weezer yeah. like those are my yeah those are my big ones which is nice. um you know one of those i still listen to regularly and uh one of them i'm somewhat embarrassed about and the other one is nirvana so you can guess. Yeah, take your pick right in. Beachboysboys yeah. yeah, at yeah, gmail.com right if you think um, you know which order that is in for Jake. Yeah, yeah. All well, right. Well, all Jake, right, thanks for joining um, us on yeah, this thank you guys episode. For having Do you have anything me? you want to uh, plug? You're our second anybody, guest in a row with actual professional things to plug, potentially. Um, if anybody wants to follow me on Twitter, I'm at JakeIverson57. Um, and I also write uh, arts and culture for the Billings Gazette. So if you Everyone's and where, like my What state is that based here, at? A? A Billings, Montana, slash uh, California on the coast, baby. Okay. Yeah, cool, cool, slash cool. Uh, Anaheim, yeah, of course. Fly, fly over yeah, exactly. Yeah, Billings, Montana, the hotbed of art in the, uh, you know, the, the, the upper Mountain Rocky yeah. Mountain Genuinely slash western cool. Great but, Plains um, region. But yeah, I, I, I write about arts and culture and um, nice. and I tweet a lot. So those are the two best are you places thinking, to get me. Are you thinking of reviewing in utero? I think people would like to know, <laughs> you know, like, is it good still? Yeah, that would be... That would be really funny if I tried to if I came in on the pitch yeah. meeting and they were like, "So you're Look, gonna it's cover relevant, all these guys. events?" And I'm like, "No, I think what we need and what I think honestly should be a one is Jake's take on in utero." It's the 19th yeah. anniversary, <laughs> or wait, 29? No, Whatever. 20. It would be 20. 29th. Yeah. Yeah. 
Whatever. Oh, 2092. Third. 30th. Huh? Maybe. It came out in 93. So 20. Oh, 93. Yeah, you're right. Okay, sorry. Well, next year. Next year, uh, everybody subscribe to the Billings Gazette now because next year you'll get to so read get my the 30th, 30th anniversary, anniversary back. Review of Love In it. Utero. He'll do a week of articles on In Utero. <laughs> track yeah, by exactly. track. <laughs> exactly. All right. All right. Well, well. All right. Well, thank you guys for having me. Always one of the um, best parts of my month or year or whenever Aww. we do these. Yeah. I, I love I love doing these. Love hanging out with you too. And uh, thank you to anybody who listens to this, especially because this episode is going to be like eight hours long. So. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, cool. Pete, I'll see you through that heavenly abyss called Nirvana. <laughs> okay. I'll see you next time at the crossroads, PJ. A Beach Boys Boys production. Uh, so t- uh, starting today, Same we have with. cut out the TV guide. So oh, no. we have just been inundated with yes. calls all day today. Yeah, all those old, old ladies who don't know how to I watch I answered TV. one of them because my editor was out for lunch, so I answered one of them. And this lady literally started by saying, I'm in my 80s. <laughs> <laughs> So you know. So yeah. she doesn't understand that every so single TV ex- has a guide function now. And well, and they were literally it. like, well, you should tell them to use the internet. I'm like, first off, it's no. immoral to tell these people to use the internet because within five minutes they will have found a video of Hillary Clinton eating a baby. And right. Like, we, can't, <laughs> yeah. we can't have that. Yeah. Can you guys hear this dog oh. chewing on a bone on my end? No, I hear the dog chewing on a yeah. bone on Jake's yeah, end, Yeah, can though. you hear my bone <laughs> getting chewed on right now? <laughs> All right. Well, um, we were talking about concerts earlier, and I went to a Bob Dylan concert last Friday. Oh, baby. Shit. How'd it go? No, it sucked. It was bad. Was it, it was bad? Really bad. He's been playing really good set lists lately. This was not a good set list. Uh, was it really heavy on Rough and Rowdy Ways? Because I really like Rough and Rowdy Ways. It was um, really heavy on. Is that a song? Did he just play that one song? Some 15 shit I'd times? never heard. <laughs> yeah. He. It was. It, I think I had heard two of the songs that he played. Oof. Let's. Yeah. Isn't Bob Dylan those I wonder, that, the kind of guy though that you could be really into Bob Dylan and he could also play an entire show from like eight years of his period that you've never heard? Oh, easily. So like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a frustrating artist. But no, sometimes not a single see. hit. You know. Yeah, this is very heavy on rough and rowdy ways. Yeah. Very heavy on rough and rowdy ways. Um, he did. He did. Got to serve somebody. That'd be fun. That one was the best one he that played. That was from his time with, as a paralegal. How does, how does Every Grain of Sand sound now? Because that's like a f- top 10 Dylan song, but I don't think it he did could not pull it good. off. Yeah, You can hear Every Grain of Sand in his voice. Yeah, hey. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember seeing him when he came to Billings, and he played hits when he came to Billings. Oh, that was a great show. I got that It was concert, a really good show. I got that poster up around here somewhere. Nice. Oh. That was a fun one. That was a good one. This one was uh, not very good. Mm-hmm. I Aww. I respect what he did, that it was mostly new stuff, uh-huh. but I was so disappointed as a listener. Yeah, that stinks. Yeah. It was a, you know, it was a good time, though. Um, so speaking of concerts, 
the Beach Boys, who are now just Mike Love, Bruce Johnson, and a bunch of guys. Yep. Are, I didn't even know Bruce was still with oh, them. Yeah. I think Bruce is still with them. Yeah. Uh, Bruce but is they are going to be in Great Falls. Don't do it. And I feel like I I feel like it'd be funny to write about, but I don't know if it'll oh, be Oh, f- to write about. Yeah, I mean, here's oh, like, the deal. I would not go. It's if, essentially if just Brian... going to be a Trump rally is the problem. So But um yeah, like I don't I would not want to go, but I right. kind of feel like it'd be fun to just be like, what is the ghost of the greatest American band look like in 2022? I think, dude, if your editor will let you do it, I think absolutely you should go to that. I'm like, if they'll let you, if they'll pay for you to go do that, that would be a very fun article to write, I think. Yes, if I can sure. get, I mean, the gas shouldn't be difficult. If I can get them to pay for a hotel room for one night, I probably right. will probably do it. And just do, you know, yeah, just go and basically write a scene piece about the fucking crowd at a Beach yeah. Boys concert in 2022 in Great Falls. And, like, and that's just, just going to yeah, be Yeah, like, real literally wild. what has happened to this yeah. institution. Because no real Beach Boys fans go to Beach Boys concerts anymore. That's not true. No. It's all the people who, the people who are going to the Mike Love one are going to be the people who are obsessed Love with the early stuff and love their yeah. 70s comeback. And yeah. are like, this That's is the I mean. There's peak no, of like, American music was from 1960 Beach Boys to 64. Fans, though. They're just the other Beach Boys fan. <laughs> you can look the up dark their side of the Beach Boys fan. And they play like 40 songs. Like they play yes. two sets. Well, because they, they're they all a minute and a half. Hours. Well, you know what? That's a really good point. I had to be considered that. Dude, a Beach Boys <laughs> yeah. album is 20 they minutes are, and it's 12 songs are, long. <laughs> that is, I had not even thought about that, but that is quite funny. But they play Brian songs like they play. Yeah. yeah. They play in my they have room. To. They have to. Which is to like play an incredibly those, yeah. intimate <laughs> Brian song. Who sings song, it? Does right? Mike sing it? Yeah. That would. Dude, if Mike sings in my room, that's like a. They have a hologram a, a, of Carl that sin. they somehow sued to get <laughs> ownership be, of. 